All right, welcome back. Back for more, as Rat would say on Inappropriate Earl, where we interview people from the world of combi, pornography, acting, sports, UFC stars, the faded uh, freaks from the L.A. scene. Uh, today we have one of the most controversial figures in the world of L.A. stand-up. Uh, you know, I've seen audience members want to kill this guy. I've seen saw last night at the comedy store. He got a, a fellow female comic into a ultimate warrior like Roid Rage, uh, and we started off not really vibing, but now we're like good buds. So See, I, I didn't know that, Earl. Well. I always thought we were friends. Oh, we were, but but you know. So Dave Taylor in the house. You hear him. You... Let me let me interrupt this for a second, here, Earl. <laughs> I always thought we were friends. I always said great things about you. I'm like, yeah, Earl and I get along great. And then to find out we weren't vibing, this tells you all you need to know about me. I would have said Earl and I vibe, which says a lot about you, Earl, as a person that you have a gift for everybody thinking. That they are vibing with you, even when you're think- secretly thinking that guy's a real Palmer. Well, that's my probably my best uh, talent in the world of comedy is that you know I don't like a few people, and they have no clue. That's that's very smart. So now everybody's going to think maybe they're the ones, right? Uh, you know, but like when, when I say you and I didn't vibe at first, my first. A memory of you is, uh, like I told you last night, I, I walked into the back of Psycho Babble Cafe where uh, you and Nick Yusuf were at the back table talking, and you guys saw me walk in, and you looked at me like, you just gave me such a look of utter apathy. <laughs> like, oh. Maybe it was like, oh, that's uh, that's Earl. I like Earl. Or it was, if I didn't know you, it was like, well, it's a new guy. I mean. Yeah. We didn't know each other yeah. well. Uh, but I've always, always been pro Earl Skakel from the days of the Hot Wired. Absolutely, I've been pro Dave Taylor. And my second memory of you was when I put you up at the Hot Wired. You had walked in. I'm like, oh my god, that's the guy from the Comedy Store. I know he can get the audience kind of riled up. And I remember just going Let's right get up him off to, the stage early. <laughs> I remember going right up to you. Hey man, I'm gonna put you up next. <laughs> And I remember you wishing cancer on the audience. And I'm like, wow, this guy's great. the Hot Wire. The Hot Wire, if you remember, was run by that guy who ran the Top Fuel also. He ran like multiple. George. Yes, multiple coffee shops. Uh, he was, uh, George was a recovering heroin addict, then a practicing heroin addict. <laughs> then he owned no more coffee shops. <laughs> well, I remember at Top Fuel, the one night I was there, someone threw a sandwich at Brian Dowell. Oh, well, I, Top Fuel, I remember George once leaped the counter because he said, that's the 20th time that you've made fun of our <laughs> coffee shop. And I said, well, George, I didn't know you could count that high. And then he leaped the counter and tried to threaten me, but he was like five foot five and he with the shirt off. George's major fighting move, I don't know if you remember this, was he would pick fights with people who would say, you know I can't fight you, I have two strikes already. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure he had more than that. Uh, well, George, yeah, George, he remember he got together with this one girl, and then she kind of pulled him back into heroin. Not that he was unhappy, but they'd go in the back room, and I always thought they should have like a special like uh, novelty syringe, like you'd sell at Spencer's, that made like a ooga sound when you shot it. Because if we heard that, the back room would just be made those sounds. Well, I mean, I had his buddy do the uh, tile work in the bathroom here. How did? How was it? Well, I gave him five hundred bucks cash, mm-hmm. and the next day he never showed up. All his wait, uh, you gave a drug addict's friend cash in advance of the work. Well, no, he started. Oh, okay. 
And at the end of the day, he's like, hey, man, I'm going to need some more money for the supplies or something. So I, I went to Citibank on the corner. I gave him 500 cash, and I never saw him again. You never saw him again. Did you ever get the tile work finished? No, I just left it as is. It was, <laughs> it was a pretty good job. I mean, he so did he a did good s- work. But just only half of it. Well, he left all his gear on the the patio, so, so I'm like, oh. figured I'm clear. Well, I'll just hold his... Uh, I'll hold it ransom. So till. he never he never came back for the gear, never finished the work. He just no, disappeared. He did come back. He climbed over the balcony. Uh, I, I don't know when. Took all his gear back, and then I've never seen him since. Matt, oh, <laughs> Matt, if you're out there, you got to come back and finish so the work. So he stole his gear back off his balcony. I mean, Sounds like this is a move he might have done before. Well, he, he, he told me I was funny at the hot wire. So I thought, well, this guy's trustworthy. See, that's immediately when I stop trusting people if they praise me. Was that my phone or your phone? That was your phone. I better, uh, you know, I, I strive for the highest in sound quality um, here at uh, Inappropriate Earl. So I'm turning off my phone. I made a boo-boo. Uh, I erased three episodes last night by accident. Ooh, which three? Um, well, uh, luckily, the, car- the lost episode with Carlos Herrera and Sandy Danto. That can be refound. Carlos um, and Sandy can be refound. Well, they said they would come back, and then yeah. I had a great episode last week with uh, two comedy buddies who are more Valley comics. Who? Uh, Chris Ramirez and Cole Young. Okay. Uh, who I don't think you know. They don't really know them, but that says nothing about them. It's more about me. I'm not really around the scene. Well, it was great because it was two and a half hours, and it was just, it was just, you know, you you might be a good person to ask this. So I put the sound card, or the, yeah, the sound card, uh, no, the, uh, what do you call those little things? You, uh, the flash drive. The flash thing, drive yeah. into the uh, recorder. Yeah. And uh, it says fragment disc, and I didn't know what that meant. Oh, no. So I'm like, yeah, sure. And then you just uh, formatted it. There's no way to get that back that. There is, I think, if you use, uh, there's apps you can use to maybe get it off. Because uh, it, the problem is that, do you really want to spend the time to pull that off? Well, it wouldn't be me spending the time. It would be me paying someone to... Uh, oh, you can just... Uh, I think if you use the program Test Disk, there's a chance you can get that stuff off. It's not 100%. It's a big file, so maybe not. But Because what I notice is when I put it in to record your episode, yeah, uh, it says there are 32 hours left on a 50-hour card. So I think the files are in there. You just got to get them off. All right. So well, but that's not why I had you on the show. I mean, you are a believe fast... me. If that's why, it's not a very good reason. Although having me on as a guest probably isn't good reason either. Yeah, but you, I was a big fan of your YouTube videos. Uh, oh, science thank you. with David Taylor. You're the only one. Let's talk um, rock literature here. How is the Stephen <laughs> Piercy book? Now you live with him. No, that's the guy for Rat. You live with the guy from Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Let's talk. Um, okay, for my money, the best rock book out there is Slash's book. I read it. Utterly fascinating. So good that I read it three pages at a time with Amazon. You know, they had the right. three-page sample. You'd read three pages, you get to the last th- page, and then you'd search for something on that page so you could read the next three pages. Uh, and I read a good chunk of that book. Well, my friend, uh, the great Brent Fitz, who I know you don't know, no. uh, he drums for Slash now. What does he say about it? I'm curious. Uh, he loves Slash. Really? Uh, Sla- you you got to understand, Brent was... Uh, he was doing the equivalent of almost uh, music open mics. And then uh, Slash picked him up? Uh, he's a great drummer. So. I'm not saying he isn't, but Slash found him. Yeah, yeah, Slash. Oh, so uh, of course you're going to have loyalty. He was, uh, I remember going to see him play in Eagle Rock on Sunday nights in front of two people. And uh, How did he meet Slash? 
He was in a band called Union, which was just a decade too late. The yeah. boat had sailed uh, with the old guitar player from Kiss, Bruce Kulick. Here's a, a, a pause here. When I was in Madrid, Spain in 1999, I backpacked through Europe. You know, I, I was out of software for a little while. I had a little bit of money. I backpacked through Europe. And I ended up meeting these two Canadian twins randomly. The only two, only two people I really met in Europe. I met them on the train, and then they put me up in their place. They were very nice. Uh, anyway, we ended up going through Madrid, and they had made friends because they weren't antisocial like me. So they had a bunch of friends. <laughs> And we we went through, we spent a night going to clubs in Madrid, which maybe the only night I've ever gone to clubs ever. But there was a Spanish language rap star was one of the the people. But another was a very pretty woman who was engaged to the bassist for Man of War. Remember okay, that Man of War. And she was adamant. She's like, metal is coming back. It's coming back. And that was 1999. I remember seeing Lita Ford in those 1990s. Uh, she'd be on MTV, like going, metal's coming back. That one for metal. People have thought metal's coming back for a long time, and it's kind of like stand-up comedy in that everybody always thinks the boom's going to come again, but the boom ain't coming. Well, the great uh, A&R man, maybe the most famous A&R guy ever, John Kalodner, who if you've My ever... money, the most famous A&R man ever is Gerardo. Well, who uh, was great in Can't Buy Me Love with Court McCowan. Was Gerardo in Can't Buy Me Love? He was the good-looking Mexican guy with the short hair. Whoa, Gerardo was in yeah. Can't... I had no idea. This was That was years before Rico Suave. Oh, yeah. It was uh, Can't Buy Me Love came out in 87. So 87, I, and then uh, uh, well, maybe two came years. out like two years. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, John Gladner was the guy, if you've ever seen uh, the Dude Looks Like a Lady video. Yes. For, He's the guy who was dressed up as the bride, and he turns around, and he's got the beard. Oh, good good, like good for Aerosmith, for giving the air an hour man. Well, he saved them. He saved their careers. Yeah. He hooked them up with Desmond Child, who wrote all their hits. Oh, and then, remember the thing that re, re, was that uh, Alicia Walk Silverstone. Away. That well, was, yeah, that was the first uh, That's got to be Desmond Child. But that was John Kalodner saying, you guys should work with the Run DMC. They're like, I mean, he's gene, he helped Bob. Never, when that song came out, would you think that the band that would be popular through the 90s would have been Aerosmith and yeah. not Run DMC. I mean, they were at death's door in the 80s, yeah. bankrupt. I didn't know who they were. Yeah, yeah a lot of people yeah. didn't. Out of creati creative ideas. Then they got hooked up with Diane Warren. Yeah. <laughs> Diane Warren and Desmond Child saved their careers. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, Slash's book was great. You John Kalodner, the A&R man, you were John saying. John Kalodner saved... Uh, well, he. you were talking about metal coming yeah. back. He, in 1999, yeah. uh, started a record label called Portrait Records where he had Rat, Cinderella, and I think one more 80s band do a record, and uh, it just didn't work. You know, it just, It's too bad. And if he can't make it work, it ain't working. So. Yeah. Well, the problem, too, is you can't have it be based on bands that are... 10 years old. Well, you have to have new metal bands, but nobody's going to do that. Well, I mean, yeah, you can't re... You know, people yeah. uh, always... Because I lived on, basically on the strip in the 80s. I was in the middle of the ditty. And uh, you a just, lot of... I imagine a lot of leather. A lot of... You, were tattoos as big? They were big, right? You just can't recreate that era, man. Tattoos yeah. weren't... Yeah, they were uh, prevalent, but uh, it was just from Doheny to the comedy store... It was like an ant farm of pussy. Really? And just horny guys. And this is, you know, before MySpace or the internet, really. Now, I imagine you being about 30 or 40 pounds heavier, more muscle than the rest of these guys. I, for my money, I picture metal guys as like all like 5'9", 120, 
strung out but ready to fight. They have like Matt Edgar bodies. Yes, exactly. But like, not nearly as good looking. Just real dirt balls. Yeah, skinny. Like Matt Edgar is skinny in the way that like even his legs are skinny. Like all of Matt Edgar <laughs> is just skinny. He's not like a, a big legs like but the skinny top. He's just like Matt looks like a straw. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was, looks like, like something that would be stop motion animated in a tool <laughs> video. Oh, yeah, that, I think he was in the AHA video, Take on Me. <laughs> nice keyboards there. Dee, dee, it's dee, a dee, great, dee. great video. But, but he, they asked Stephen Piercy, whose book is on yeah. that uh, right by you, they said, well, what did you think about the 99 record you did with John Collin? And he's like, well, he tried to make us sound like the Cars. And you know, Wait, the Cars when? The Cars in the 80s? Yeah. The well, you yeah. know, they the keyboards. and Yeah, you know, that's the, the problem. That sound was only really popular in the 80s, too. Even, even Rico Kasich, who produced at that point, wasn't trying to make his band sound like the Cars. Well, I mean, I did get one of my favorite concerts ever was two, uh, about two years ago. I saw the Cars at the Palladium. Uh, it was everyone but Benjamin Orr. Yeah. And uh, I was about to say, did Benjamin Orr make a guest appearance? Well, I thought they could have done the uh, the Tupac thing where they do the. No, uh, they don't have they don't have uh, Coachella hologram. money. Mm. Cars reunion tour does not have like hologram money. They maybe could have done like a old remember the old Scooby Doo when they'd have a projector and it'd be like, oh, it wasn't a ghost; it was really just a projector. They could do hologram. They might have been able to two D. If you ever want to see something really sad. Uh, I think six days before Benjamin Orr died, they did a DVD. It's the first time up until that point. I think it was about 96, 97, uh, that the cars had reunited uh, on uh, interviews form. And uh, he's just a skeleton, man. So it reminds me of Rat, speaking of Stephen Piercy. Like when you watch the interviews with the the guy from Rat, Robin Crosby, the one who was dating Tony Katane, and there, he says at one point, he goes, you know, he's talking about how. His the fucking his metabolism has been fucked up by medication. He says something really poignant, and he doesn't understand what's poignant about. It. He goes, you know, it's really fucked up because I I can't eat anything, but my roommate can eat everything he wants and be 130 pounds. What he doesn't understand is the really sad part of that phrase is my roommate. Right. Like this guy was the king, the king, and now he's just some dude living in Hollywood with a roommate. Well, in his, uh, you know, uh, form of, uh, you know, uh, disease he had, he got bigger. Like. Well, yeah, because I think it was, what happened, like, it was something where, like, he had AIDS and then they destroyed his immune system and then... But most people get skinnier. True, but I think he, they might have put him on prednisone. They might have just uh, destroyed his thyroid with medication. But Tani had the best story about, you know, uh, this, you know, when he was on his way out that she would go visit him. And bring him uh, uh, peppermint schnapps. Like he's like, hey, can, can you just? Oh yeah. Sneak me, and you know she, that you could tell. It was neat about the Tawny interview was you could still tell that that was and will always be the love of her life. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Which, also because you know, like she's remembering him when he was in high school and young and vital. Now, to my mind, mind it could be that uh, O.J. Simpson could be the only person. <laughs> she'd be the only person who O.J. Simpson saved. Saved the life. I think O.J. Simpson is basically, eh, you know, two in one when it comes to murder. Because, uh, yes, he killed those two people. But the story on VH1 was that Robin Crosby was about to have sex with Tawny. Yeah. And O.J. showed up, was all jealous. He goes, ah, I don't think so. Uh, who knows what Tawny, shape Tawny would have been in if O.J. hadn't had the the chivalry. The face of rat. And save, save her from uh, an uncertain 
biological trauma. Well, that was the only, you know, I, I love Tawny, and that was the only uh, person she wouldn't talk about. Well, yeah, because that's her true love. So, um, you know, she wouldn't even mention... Oh, I love Tawny, too. I think she's great. Oh, my God. Just, you know, she was a great interview. I'm looking forward to the second uh, there will be Earl with Tawny. Well, my favorite part of the interview was she's talking about Robin dying. And, you know, it's a sad story. You know, it's just... And, and you could tell she's starting to well up. Yeah. And Gail, and this is why I wanted her on the show, it was like, Tawny, I know how you feel. I lost a cat once. <laughs> and it was, it was like... It was that like, cat was important. Probably feline AIDS. So there you go. Well, I, I'm not sure. Uh, what, you know, we'll cover a lot of those unanswered questions later. I mean, I've cried more when I put down my dogs than I did at my parents' funerals. Really? Oh, absolutely. The what? The last. Uh, well, is it because you felt responsible for your dogs? Um, you know, it just—it's horrible to see a like with the last dog before Lois, Chloe. I named her after the the porn actress, the character on uh, Twenty Four. Oh, I thought the porn actress who was a Chloe Belladonna be back in the day. <laughs> um, she would have start having these baby heart attacks, and it was just the worst thing in the world to see. And it was like, you could see them. By the way, we can agree that baby heart attacks are the most adorable heart attacks. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, and by speaking of heart attacks, this uh, episode is dedicated to Jim Helwig, uh, who the ultimate warrior, warrior towards the latter end of his life, who uh, passed away. Who could have seen that coming? 54-year-old man dying of a heart attack. Uh, Unbelievable. You know, Earl... If years and years and years of steroid abuse... Allegedly. I'd like to think he was nasty. I would like to argue that the uh, the people making the allegations were anybody looking at his body. If that can cause heart problems, then I just don't simply understand the human body. If if cocaine and steroids can cause problems with the, the lighting in your heart, then I don't understand anatomy or biology. Well, you're a very smart guy. Probably the smartest guy I know. Um, Thank you, but... That- Probably not true. Well, it is, but I don't, you know, you got to understand my uh, group of (laughs) friends. I mean, it's not, it's like saying you're the skinniest girl and the biggest loser. It's. it's, Well, now with that girl with the eating disorder, who knows there. I love it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I had to watch the last season uh, on the IMAX screen. It it got, (laughs) got so goddamn big. Speaking of, by the way, you know, your TV is nice, but it looks like it might be time to upgrade it to a flat screen. Yeah, it's old school. I mean, what Yeah, I'm... you guys could see it. He does the old the trick with the... Uh, it's got the giant back, so he has it in the corner, and it eats up a lot of real estate. The room would be a lot bigger if you had a flat screen. Put Turn it this way. Well, what I'm going to do is the bulb's about to burn out in this. When you do, you're going to get rid of it? When it, you know, get an, I know Samsung has a smart TV. Oh yeah, those are great. Where you could get like Netflix. I don't even have but Netflix. But Earl, just get you can just get a regular. If I were you, I'd get just a regular, not smart TV, uh, because you can pay about a thousand dollars less for a regular big screen LCD, and then get a Chromecast stick or a Roku. It does all the things a smart TV does, and it's so the smart TV thing is just a cheat. So you have to pay a thousand dollars more. I mean, my. Uh friend uh, has a one of the samsung things and, oh uh, well, i thought you meant, can you get a deal a lady friend and uh oh trust me no no i agree get a flat big nice quality uh, samsung tvs are very nice i just want the biggest screen possible yeah get the biggest screen possible if it's not a samsung which i don't think it will be 
get a fucking Chromecast stick or Roku. It'll be just as easy. It works great. I might have to take you with me because I go to Best Buy and they don't know what they're talking I about. I wouldn't there. go. To, yeah, Best Buy, you're paying a lot more too. Paul's big screen. I think uh, he's he's. Uh, there, I used to go on Pico. There was a place called Cranes. Uh, oh, I remember that. Ken Cranes. Yeah, and they were great. They were professional. Are they out of business? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a. I th- I don't know. I think it's a vacant. Uh, I remember a, them actually because they were yeah. great. But the people who worked there were professional TV salesmen. They had no. They weren't actors. None of them had any hobbies. But they lived fucking. Here's the TVs. problem. You can just fucking order this shit online. Get it come in a box. Yeah, but, but I don't know how to install. You know, the hard thing's gonna be getting that thing out of here. Like my friend had one of these giant TVs, although he had a real small apartment, and he just had to uh, had people. He just gave it away and said the cost is you have to carry it out and that was hard well the last tv i had was bigger than this really and it was on rollers so i just how big is this one how this many is inches? 70 inches you had a bigger than 70 inch tv the one i had before was like 85 wow it was massive but it was on rollers so when it was time to get it was just time to get a new my one. projector is a hundred and like but 85 is that's impressive yeah, it was nice it was great to watch hockey on also sports. because tube tv quality until recently tube was the best picture you could have what is the best uh tv now like i would argue that like the tube tv was way ahead of everything for a long time i mean because the Picture quality is fantastic. Even if for a projector, you'd want two projectors. But now, I think just a good LCD is is just as good. The blacks are just as good. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a big TV junkie. If I were you, I don't know how. Do you use that fire, fireplace? No, it's fake. It's a okay, fake one. perfect. Then if I were you, I would Hang it up. measure it out, figure it out. Because it might be too big to put up there. But you might not. You just basically find the studs and then hang it up. It could even jut out a little bit. Uh, and then I would put it right there because, and then you, you have a lot more space to put stuff in there. That reminds me when I went to the gay hardware store to, uh, Oh, I've been the one on, uh, on WeHo. What? Coons. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I've been the there. best hardware store in the city. I think it's not the biggest, but it's, they know they're, it's like the Ken Cranes. Like, yeah, there's not one actor working there. They're all fucking old, hardcore hardware thing. Uh, I like Home Depot because you just go, you get stuff, you figure it out yourself. See, I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my, my Merle, own. There's not much to. I mean, look, people like, like plumbing. That's difficult. But when it comes to hanging something, you find studs and you hang stuff off them. But I'm not the brightest guy. And I'm, Merle, I'm, it's simple. There are boards in your wall called studs. That's how you hang stuff. But when you I find them and drill in. But when I went to the the gay hardware store, I'm in line and yeah. I said to the guy behind the counter, I'm like, I need the biggest stud finder I can get. <laughs> and the gay guy behind me is like, I bet you do. And I'm like, okay. Um, maybe. Did you wink? Um, gay, I'll tell you what. The, the gays have always liked you. I'm uh, I'm gay friendly. I live in a very gay neighborhood. Uh, remember, there was that one. You've had gay managers that were interested in you. I remember. Like, well, I had the head of casting that uh, I can't. I don't want to say the. Uh, studio name you're gonna prepare your brian singer lawsuit um well i mean it wasn't quite on that level i was a little too old in the game to get invited to those twink parties that's too too bad man well you know know who must be really jealous of that is carlos herrera because he's just ahead of hair and about five years away from being in those twink parties oh yeah i mean carlos was on the vip list for those yeah but then he lost all his hair and there are no bald twinks You know? I mean, that's crazy that uh, but I know you know I don't blame Brian Singer if those lawsuits by the way the lawsuits are bullshit and also yeah exactly nobody uh, logically why would you blame Brian Singer for having a party full of hot people he wanted to fuck 
anybody would do that with the differences well, most dudes percentage wise most dudes would have hot young girls but if it's hot young boy that's what he likes then go ahead man I mean, it's not illegal being uh, gay in Hollywood. No, and they're, they were the guys were of legal age. I think those lawsuits are, are bullshit or homophobic bullshit. These guys who probably couldn't act. Yeah, he, they, he probably gave them auditions and said, like, right, "I can't." Also, I, I think what it, yeah, the guy is already aged out of his twink life, and now he doesn't have as much value. He's trying to make a lawsuit to collect money, but but the problem is the joke's on him because Hollywood is the one city where being exposed as a powerful homosexual is not a problem at all. This I mean, isn't like a lawsuit in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, This isn't a scandal. This is just something that will be dealt with and then go away. Well, you know, when the Drudge Report's not covering it full steam, I mean... That, well, also, you know why the Drudge Report isn't covering full steam. Well, I know that there's... Uh, the Drudge would have loved to be at one of those parties. He might I wonder probably, if he was at those probably parties. Probably was at those parties. I mean, I went to one party like that. It wasn't a twink party. Uh, you know, I've been to a lot of pussy parties in my time. You know, I never, you know, when I was that age, first of all, I was ugly. Second of all, I was in Silicon Valley. So it was a lot of dudes, but it was mostly sad dudes and like three girls. And it was just not a fun sex vibe. But see, my friends, before I started comedy, uh, I ran with uh, Brian Singer types, but straight heterosexual, yeah. And these guys lived. I've never met a group of guys who single-handedly their whole pursuit in weekends was to get laid it is also incredible when you see anybody who's single-minded about anything it's but, almost like admirable and they played hard i mean they worked hard i mean they worked at the big agencies yeah. the icms william morris's cas but they were big producers and you know young hot producers and but when the weekends came, it was like you never met a group of guys more single-handedly devoted to the thrill of just abusing women, gang bangs. <laughs> so it's just like w w whenever I would give uh, girlfriends of mine advice and, and about the business, it's like, hey, I ran with a real wild group of guys. I was there because I was sober. I was a big guy. So they this might sounds like. The real life version of "Only the Good Die Young." <laughs> That's a good Journey song too. Uh, they have a they have only, their own uh, version of "Only it? the Young." I, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. I'm missing my musical. I'm not Barris. Barris will name you the. I mean, he's unbelievable with his musical knowledge. Oh yeah, I've heard it. But so you know, I'd go to these uh, reverse twink parties where there was just old hags and just actresses who just given up and making it, but they were ripe for the takedown. Oh. Hi, uh, you're an actress. Well, why don't we have an audition at my house tomorrow? How old are we talking? Thirties. Wow, that's. Uh... I mean, you know, you ain't a twink anymore in thirty. No, no, you're not. So they were, but they were ready to be exploited. Oh, absolutely. And I would, you know, I'd get the runoff. You know, I'd get the slob friend, or <laughs> you know, the fat friend who wasn't an actress, and uh, you know, so I've been exposed to the world of bullshit by the best bullshitters ever. Oh, absolutely. So when I give these young female comics advice, like you know, when uh, like I have a friend, I won't say their name. Uh, she was recently approached by a very A-list actor. I mean, the, the elite of the elite. Uh, a text, hey, blank, why don't you come over and read scripts with me? Okay, I'm no <laughs> expert. I'm no expert. But my guess is that there might have been uh, an ulterior motive to this script reading session. What time was the text sent? 
um, in the early evening. <laughs> I I, uh, I dated a girl. I don't want to say who it is. Absolutely. Who is a, a very, very beautiful girl. And she had similar stories, like an A-list actor wanted to just take her home. She said no. And I was like, well, the joke's on you because you ended up with me. You know, there was another guy who was not an A-list actor. We'll say B-level, but his line was like, "Do you want to come back to my place and have a grilled cheese sandwich?" It was a grilled cheese sandwich or a milkshake. It was. It might have been a milkshake. I, can't I remember. bet. But uh, that was his line with her. So the script. Wait, here's. There's a larger question here beyond the scripts. How did they exchange phone numbers? Well, um, let me see. Without uh, they, uh, he had saw her at a show, and. Uh, you know, oh, you're funny, all that, and then uh, so, and she is actually. So she uh, gave they exchange information. Hold on, let's take it back another step. She met an A-list actor, and she gave him her phone number. To me, I'm no expert on male-female interaction. But to me, that implies some sort of interest on her part. Well, she's uh, was more in. She really was more interested in. Oh, Career maybe this guy. Yeah, it, but you know, maybe he'll uh, look at my uh, videos, scripts, so on. And she, she had no uh, sexual uh, inclination. If this is the girl who I'm thinking of, can I make a larger point? I think it's the girl. It's I'm not of. though. It's not the girl I'm thinking of. No, no, it's not. Oh, okay. Well, then, without knowing who it is, because there are some women that I've met who are very charming, but they give off a vibe of being sexually interested in literally everyone. Not even a slutty vibe. Just there, I know certain certain girls, certain I say female comics that are really good at when you meet them. Your first thought is like, oh, well, they want to have sex with me, and then you have like 15 friends going, I really have a crush on that girl. You're like, oh, they're giving that vibe to literally everyone else. Uh, well, but so and you know, you can tell, like that. That's what it is. Is I have an autistic friend, and he's like the test. When he goes, like, I really don't like that girl at all. It's like definitely. Then that's what it was. The great Josh Meyer was. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. Pretty impressive. Well, you know, I just I I'm like a, the the only area in life that I'm probably truly smart in is the art of the scam. <laughs> <laughs> and so and and coincidentally, this guy's girlfriend. Uh, was out of town the night of the script reading night. Here's the thing: when you get to that level, they don't have to be out of town. It's like I don't know, it's a ho- they have hotel money. They like they live in a like a level of fu- of success that is beyond morality. That the only bounds are all in their own head. He could easily say, "Let's meet at a hotel bar to read scripts," and then, "Oh look, I have a room." I mean, that's the incredible thing. But then the girlfriend's back in town now, and the calls have stopped. Really. And so it's like, well, so-and-so, what do you think that means? Well, now here's my question. The girl knew immediately, because the girl I dated who was, was very, again, very beautiful, uh, she knew. She wasn't stupid. She knew instantly what, what all these things meant. I'm assuming the girl's hanging out with you. She knew the same thing. Now, the problem is we all want to believe something. Did she, How much of her, question, percentage-wise, how much of her believed that there was a chance that he really just wanted to read scripts with her? Oh, a big percent. I would say probably 70%. Oh, she's going to get chewed up. Well, that you know, and this goes back to my background of the scam. You know, I, I, I saw my friends just... You know, this reminds me of that W.C. Fields quote, you can't cheat an honest man. Yeah. And, you know, that's what it's about. Implicit in that is that she thought she was going to game him, that she was going to get career help. But unfortunately... You know, he's the one with the leverage. I mean, I really want to teach not a stand-up comedy class because I'm not qualified, but uh, a class for young actresses 
and just call it the art of the scam. You know, when you got a guy who says... You know, the joke with that would be the class itself would be a scam. So it would be like <laughs> a medical... But it wouldn't because like, I would give... Would, it would, it would the first class be like, don't ever do something like this again? Don't take a class from a guy you've never heard of before. <laughs> but I, I, I have a uh, caring soul about me and I don't like people getting scammed. I will say this, Earl. You are a caring person and you've been very generous. And the thing about you too is... You will give advice to female comics and not with any ulterior motive. Almost like I would believe that in another life you were a female comic who was scammed. Here's my pitch for a movie, right? It's kind of like the Heavenly Kid, right? Only Oh my god. In another it. life great movie. Jason Gedrick. In another life, you uh you were in a, uh, a drag race, a game of chicken, but you were a female comic, and then you come back and help out a female comic, and then it turns out you were her mother. Well, <laughs> I just, you know, there, there's, uh, you see it a lot at the comedy store, just, you know, uh, I, I know of another comic who, uh, you guys would constantly try and scam her, and I would be like, hey, so-and-so, uh, they're just trying to fuck you. Oh, no, they think I'm funny, you know, and it's like, you know, well, like... Did you explain, I know that's not true because you're not funny? <laughs> well, <laughs> so like, provably. But, I mean, like, I look at my ex-girlfriend, Shelly, yeah. When uh, Gail was first coming upon the scene, yeah, uh, Gail would laugh a lot at my jokes, and 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 Shelley was onto her. Girls but, always know if but, a, the girl you're dating always knows if another girl wants to have sex with you. Uh, that that's their their superpower. But I almost turned into the female comic because when Shelley would say this, I'd be, like, "Oh, you don't think anyone can like me?" Just that is a think very I'm funny. Female. That's not just a female comic. That's a female thing. Like I remember the girl I was dating again, the most beautiful girl in the world, oh, and she's uh, hot. If it's the one I'm thinking, yeah, of. yeah, she was she was really really pretty and very smart too. And but she would do this thing where other guys would laugh at her jokes because they were trying to have sex with her, and then she'd go, "You just don't think I'm funny?" And I'm like, "No, I don't." But, but she's not cares? a comic. No, I mean, she was just funny enough. But it's like that wasn't why the guys were laughing. Well, I mean, you know, just I, I've seen every scheme uh, yeah. done a hundred times Shit. over. You've done them? Uh, not, it, well, my friends did most of them. I mean, I did a few You've schemes. A few I mean, probably the b best scheme I ever used to do was I would go to the King Games in the, uh, this is probably the late 80s when I first started getting laid. This is a great scheme if it's oh, the one the I'm best. thinking of. And uh, I would dress in a, you know, I, I noticed before then that some of the hockey players would dress in these really obnoxious suits, purple suits. I remember the great uh, Ukrainian defenseman Igor Ulanov uh, walked out of the locker room one night in an all-yellow suit. Sounds like Craig Sager. Right. Yes, he, it's a total Craig Sager suit. And Igor Ulanov was one of my favorite players, so, he, you know, all that stuff. And uh, so I thought, wait a minute. I see all these chicks around him. What if I started, I went to, God, what was the name of the store? International Mail which was a total bone smoker clothing store. And I would buy the most obnoxious sport coats, you know, stretch pants, Versace. I mean, it was the real deal. So I started going to the King Games, and as soon as the game was over, I'd run into the sh uh, the bathroom. I had a packet of gel in my pocket. I'd rub it through my hair like I had just gotten out of the shower, and I would go to the forum club, and I got more pussy doing that scam. <laughs> This reminds me of another variation. When you told the girl that you were the guitarist for Rat, 
Oh, at Fantasy Island. At Fantasy Island. And then she said, wait a second. Rat's first album came in 1981. You must have been 13. Now, I would have said, oh, I was a guitarist in the last album, but this is the genius of Earl. Your line, you go, no, no, they don't want to sleep with somebody who's on the last album. Yeah. So then your line was? I was a child prodigy. <laughs> and if you look at Warren D. Martini, I'm not saying this girl wasn't smart, but if you look at Warren D. Martini and me, I mean, I look about as much like Warren D. Martini as I do uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it's just, there's no resemblance at all. You know, now I look like like a roided out version of someone in Weezer. Yeah, that's the thing. You well, not not so much you look like a roided out version of somebody in Weezer, but it's just like physically, you're a lot bigger than pretty much everybody. There are a few people in Hermit. Nikki Six is obviously a big guy, big dude. Uh, Danzig is a small dude who got muscled up. Well, he's a total Napoleon uh, fucking complex. But, yeah, but I mean, one time I went to a No Doubt concert. Uh, because you know Shelly, who you knew. Yeah. Um, By the way, you remember Warlock? Oh my God! Yeah. Warlock yeah. was a guy who hung out at the comedy store. He was No Doubt's road manager when they were small, really, oh, really? small, like OC band. And he said he never thought the band would make it, but he always knew Gwen Stefani would make it. She definitely has a star quality about yeah. her. Uh, so Shelly gets you in to see. A she no gets Doubt. me in the. You know, she was working the No Doubt concert at I think the Shrine Auditorium and. Uh, I'm sitting there, you know, they were okay. They were, you know, they're all right. Uh, Not my thing, but, you know, they were listenable. And uh, I had this herd of underage girls following me around the concert, insisting that I was the guy from Weezer. Really? And I'm really, I'm not, I'm not. I'm I'm telling you, I'm not that guy. I think it was Rivers Cuomo. Oh, yeah. Or maybe the taller blonde guy with the glasses. Uh, Uh, Something uh, Bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Bell or something? No. uh, I I knew a girl hooked up with him. uh, Ricky Bell? No, that's the running back. uh, The one who died. Yeah, Tampa Bay. uh, Tampa Bay's first draft pick. Yeah. Huge runner. But then uh, I remember I saw somebody call him a flop because he ran for 12 yards. Then he was out of the league quickly. And then somebody else pointed out, he died of like sarcoidosis. Well, you know, that reminds me of one of my favorite fantasy football moments where uh, this moron that was in our league drafted Fred Lane. After he had died, <laughs> and he spent nobody like, disabused him of that, right? Yeah, we're like, no, no, you should. Yeah, yeah. We all started bidding yeah. on Fred Lane just because we knew this guy would get him. So we, he had to. In this fantasy football league, you had one hundred and fifty dollars in fake money to draft twelve players. Yeah. So you really had to be economical with your money, and uh, this guy spent like one hundred and twenty dollars on Fred. Sounds Lane. like Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins. Oh, he's out of but he's doing fan in real life. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, also James Dolan, people like. Uh, I saw it, that uh, tweet. It was a brilliant tweet. Oh, thank you. Well, it, tell tell the audience just that you know how this is how uncompetitive cable television is. James Dolan was a success in it, and this guy is like the worst owner in any sports league because also he's got a problem where the problem with salary cap leagues is that. Not a problem, but like salary cap leagues have those owners that try to come in and throw a lot of money to be a Steinbrenner. It doesn't work with a capped out league. Like that's why Jerry Jones has a problem. That's why Daniel Snyder has a problem. That's why James Dolan has a problem. They're used to having more money than everybody else and throwing it at people and making right. it work. But the problem is there's limits. Where Steinbrenner was able to get away with it because the Yankee the baseball is such a fucked up league that the Yankees can't their their priorities are so fucked up that they have like three cities that they care about and then they're just willing to you know 
uh, it's New York, Boston, and whatever other big city is winning right. at the time. But that's why they can get away with it. But salary cap leagues, you, that's why you have those owners that look like real buffoons. If Steinberger were an owner in a capped out league, hell, he didn't win through most of the 80s. Like, yeah. It's, uh, and the reason they came back was that he was suspended for two years and then somebody else built up the farm system when he was gone. Well, I mean, you got to, uh, like, I don't know who the King's actual owner is. I think it's Philip Anschutz. He owns so much. It's mm-hmm. like hard to. But they do it right. I mean, if you, even if you're not a hockey fan, you have to admire how the Kings are built. And Dean Lombardi is the GM. Yeah. Uh, they had the wasn't their GM David Taylor for a long time. Dave Taylor was. Yeah, was always a fan. I was a fan of his because he had a horrible stuttering problem, and that's, that's sad for he, him. He forced himself to do interviews. Like really? he would say, "I want to," you know, "if you guys need a player to talk to, I want to do it." So he he did he get better? Um, yeah. I mean, you could definitely. I met him once in Westwood. With his family, and I, I was so shy, but he, I'll never forget how nice he was. Probably not me. as shy as he was, though. I mean, hell, both of you were stuttering. You, I'm not going, Mr. Taylor, can I give him a autograph? And he answered back to me, So, I mean, it's kind of like I admire a comic up at the comedy store. He doesn't have a stuttering problem, but Josh Martin. Yes, Josh Martin's the best. That guy's a warrior. But I really admire, he gets a lot of shit because, you know, he. what would you say he has a a speech he impediment. Have a stutter, a speech impediment. But you think about the balls that takes to does eat. not care. Every time he opens his mouth, every, like people are making fun of him, but the dude just doesn't care. Last night, I had two guys on stage: uh, Jared Levin and his murder twin. And Josh Martin was in the audience. I was taking questions, and Josh says, "Yeah, I have a question for you. Who's the bald faggot on stage?" <laughs> I'm like, uh, Josh, that's me. <laughs> that was the biggest laugh I've ever heard him get. The biggest laugh I got of the night. No, that's the biggest laugh I've ever heard him All right. Josh will land some great shots, but then it was like, good for you, Josh. You know, He throws out a few bombers every now. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't? I His line at that roast was the best line of the whole night. Well, I told him that you saved your reputation. Oh, yeah. Line. He was getting wailed on by Alex Phillips, and then they brought on. So he's getting pounded to a point where it was like Cool Hand Luke, where it's like anybody else would have just kind of thrown in the towel. And then they brought up Russell Peters to have them make fun of him, just like fourth round. And his line about Russell Peters was, you have the money of Jay-Z and the talent of Jay Mandiant. <laughs> and it's like, how do you do that off the top of your head it's like- after getting wailed on that hard? And then every, I felt bad for him because every, you know, I whispered into his ear right before he oh, said yeah, that line, yeah. and people, oh, you gave him that line. Yeah. I did not give him the line. People well, said, yeah, I think somebody gave Josh line. No, Josh would have told me. He absolutely would have. But oh, yeah. that was hundred percent. Josh all. said that you said you should make fun of the fact that he's Indian, yeah. and Josh goes, mm, I don't think so. But then I think that, that's where it like brought up the Jay. I said, just thing. say something about him being Indian. You know, it's, it's so. Uh, I mean, but I admire people like Josh, like. I don't think I, if I had a speech impediment, especially up at the comedy store, which is, you know, they, the week get weeded out pretty fast there. Yeah. You've been up the there funny, longer than me. Oh, yeah. The funny thing is that, I mean, I, Josh hasn't gotten the worst hazing of anybody. Jimmy Pidd got the worst hazing. Jimmy Pidd was a uh, an employee at the store and a comic, really nice guy, very funny. Uh, but he was hazed for a good five years. I'm not exaggerating. But by the end of those five years, Nobody was fucking with Jimmy Pedd. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the you get a weird respect. Oh yeah, absolutely. You outlast it. So that's that's where Josh is. Where if you are just yourself at the store for a long time, people eventually go, "Oh, that's who he is," and then they just, you know, you you're sort of bulletproof in that way. Like I think the night uh, I had a few friends who'd never been to the store. They, I was on stage, and you might have even been asking questions. I think Tebow was throwing menus at me. Mm-hmm. Don was. Uh, 
you know, uh, controlling the environment. Yeah. And uh, my friends were like, after, they don't like you very much here, do they? And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's what they do when they like you. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, you're beloved. But, you know, if, if they yeah. don't like you, they it's that side. They, yeah. People either leave the room or uh, they don't say anything. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the worst thing at the store is the... Uh, is the stare over the head thing that I've learned how to use. Uh, thank God I'm tall. You know, it's funny, my brother was talking to me and he talked to me. My brother's talking to my dad about like, what do you do if you don't like somebody? You can't really always pick a fight with them. My dad said, what I just do is just stare over their head because my dad's a tall guy. And my brother goes, that's what David does. And it was, I never talked to my dad about it, but we both did it independently. And it works really well with like little Lester because if you stare over her head, the only thing you can see are the stink lines. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, little Esther's, uh, she's on the rise. She's a real comer, as they say in the business. She did introduce me to Dolph Ziggler and gave me the greatest introduction to one Dolph of Dolph Ziggler? Very famous pro wrestler. Oh, okay, because I remember Dolph Lundgren and Zig Ziggler, but I didn't know there was a Dolph Ziggler. I, I'm a big fan of Zig Ziggler's uh, Southern Twang, but uh, Dolph Ziggler, very uh, famous Dolph pro Ziggler, wrestler. Dolph the one who dated Amy Schuber? I I don't know to be honest with you. I, mean, I don't know either. This guy gets a lot of hot chicks, so yeah. I, I'm. Uh, but she gave me a very nice, and she said, "Oh, Dolph, this is my friend Earl. He's a very funny comic, and Esther never seen me go up before. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I she's a controversial figure uh, in the world of comedy, but not uh, controversial. Just most people don't like her. That's not really controversial. That's more like an agreement. She's more like a consensus figure. Like, oh, her. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of controversial figures. Uh, well, controversy you know. implies like an argument. Like, well, to me, it implies. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you're probably right. You uh, could say disliked. Um, maybe you know, it's possible other people like her, but she causes reactions. At the store, there's a real like a monolithic consensus about her, which is just like, ugh. I think her. you know, uh, like your brother and the dude he went up against in the roast was. Uh, a controversial, controversial in the sense that they both. Uh, I see what you're saying. The yeah. reaction, you know, people were into that roast because it was like uh, they, they wanted were, to see both of them die. Yeah, so um, you know, and it was a crazy roast. You know, and for people out there, there's a Tuesday night show at the Comedy Store. It's basically a, a yo mama roast. Two comics getting into it. So it's Brian uh, Moses's roast battle. Uh, Brian Moses and I think Rel Battle. I don't know. I think they're and Jeff Ross is something. Jeff to do. Ross is the and, executive. Uh, I play the racist. Uh, yes, house guest. I guess you'd call along it. with uh, Whitney now, Lee Rice. Whitney Rice. The, Whitney Lee Rice. The third name. That really is the best way to convey that she might might be an assassin. Well, I had to. Uh, frankly, people were like, "Well, Earl, why'd you bring her in? Are you trying to bone her?" And I, you know. That's the comedy store thinking of, uh, you know, a, a guy and a girl can't be friends up there unless there's uh, some body slapping going on. But I was running out of racist things to say. She's very good on that show with you. And you guys, in a weird way, humanize each other. And also, it's never a problem for them to bring in a girl into a show they're trying to pitch. Well, that's what, you know, if you, and she's like got a lot of, you know, she's a, a rising, uh, she's got like, she's hungry. She, I think she'll be like, for lack of a better word, the next Esther from the standpoint of like getting in and. and with oh, absolutely! People. She's definitely tracing an upward trajectory. I think that she uh, she is the greatest climber, and I say this with respect. 
Uh, Whitney's the greatest climber since the the greatest climber I've ever seen, Whitney Cummings. Oh, and I uh, always talk highly of Whitney Cummings from the standpoint of I started with her. Oh, no, you didn't. No, you started years before her. Uh, well, yeah. Years before. I don't know her. when. I mean, I'm assuming she started like around 04. Yeah, oh. that's you. She started years after us because we started around the same time. 2000. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she started years after us. I remember when she was at a party before I'd ever seen her comedy. She made some bad joke. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. And then next thing you know, she's famous. The greatest climber I've ever seen. It's like I, you see people are natural talents at things, right? Comedy. You know, like, she's not a talent at that, but at climbing, she's amazing. Amazing. I mean... Uh, I've met, like, great writers. I've met great comedians. But in terms of climbing, I, she could be better at climbing than anybody else's at, at anything I know. She's like, a Wayne Gretzky of climbers. Yeah, she really is. In that, like, Gretzky's move was to go behind the goal and yeah. kind of he kind of saw things from a different way. She's amazing at it because she's able to climb using the people underneath her, which you have to do. Like some climbers try to just climb using the people above them, and it doesn't work because you don't get all the stuff you need out of them. Whitney Cummings is the smartest climber I've ever seen because she was able to use the people underneath her too, the Mark Mealy's, the Angela Hmm. Bowers. Oh, no, I mean, and she has the most amazing talent. I've seen it where she can walk into a room full of 100 people and figure out who the successful one is and zoom right in and glom right onto them. And like a Battlestar Galactica droid with those no, eyes. Like the Predator. <laughs> she has like heat vision for success. But that's a talent I don't have. I mean, I, I'm... Uh, I could manage to anger the one person. But it's also incredible too because some girls who aren't as good as it, I'll say that girl Cassie, some girls try to like split their their thing in two where they'll like try to they'll think the most successful guy is the hot guy, which is not how it works. The most successful guy is often five foot three and bald. You know? Oh, yeah. Whitney was amazing at sort of sensing that. And she could make you feel like you were the most important person Absolutely. in the world. Great at it, great at it. And, uh, you know, other girls, I've seen it a million, they think they're going to bone their way to the top. Uh huh. Which is, again, trying to just go upwards. You don't do it just upwards. You do it downwards, too. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, and this just with my former SEAL training background in the art of the schemes and scams. Those are the girls that get exploited immediately. Oh, yeah. And they're, you know, it's like you just, I've seen it a million times. These girls come out here from their small towns, wherever, you know, uh, Steubenville, Ohio. They were the hottest girl there. Yeah. Got everything they wanted Appropriate there. Appropriate you mentioned Steubenville because that's the most famous rape town now in all of Ohio. <laughs> well, you know, I got my finger in the air. Yeah. I know where the wind's blowing. <laughs> uh, and then they come out here thinking they're going to come to the comedy store, you know, get whatever they want. But what you don't... Joke's know, on them, too, because the comedy store's got nothing. Well, <laughs> but what they don't... Yeah, that... But what, you know, or I should say they come to L.A. Yeah think they're just going to wink, show their tits, and get everything they wanted like they did in Steubensville, but now you're dealing with every other small-town girl out here who's some are going to be prettier than you. Yeah. Or, you know, more uh, skilled at the the art of giving a blowjob or whatever. And the case of Whitney, I never say, I mean, that part of it, I never saw it, so I don't know. I can't speak to it, but her climbing was great because it was asexual. Yeah. That's, that's... a great climber. Is A great and effective climber does it asexually there might be some other component i'm not seeing i I can't speak to that all i'm saying is her great climbing was was because a really really good climber doesn't 
actually, and that's why I'm saying the, the new girl, Whitney is really good because she's managed to make everybody feel special. And then that, like watching her do it, you're like, Oh, you're going to move right up. Oh yeah. And she's not, and funny. She's, you know, people think I give her, it's like the Josh Martin thing. I give Whitney no lines for this roast. It's all her, you know, when she throws out her lines and, uh, yeah. So it's, you know, if you're around the comedy store Tuesday nights, midnight, the belly room, it's great. I, I, you've been around longer than I have at the store. I don't. I've been around for a while. The difference it, between now and then is that um, there is more, there is a, the store late at night uh, at, in the belly room now has a lot of shows, which is a relatively recent phenomenon. And I ascribe it to uh, Adam eBay because he's been really good about it. The manager there. He's the manager there. He's not the head manager now, but he's the one person who decided to. Because before Adam, they would try to shut that room down as early as possible so they could get home for whatever reason. But Adam was good about just letting shows run. So there are now a lot of late night shows going. I think Josh Barton might start something. Eric Marino has one. Freddie Lockhart's starting a video game one. See that's but see like your show was really the precursor the the secret show on Wednesdays to I think the success of the rail I think battle that the the original of that was I mean the precursor to us was Don Barris's Ding Dong show I mean that was that was always the first oh of course I mean we did it but then they did that open mic and then that open mic led to the roast battle and then that roast battle has taken it to another level of industry success I mean, that's a big deal I mean I don't think I guess my question to you was I don't think in the the time that I've been at the store, I've never seen a show in the belly room with this amount of energy. Oh no, I was, uh, I can't think of a show I've seen in any room that's had this amount of energy. I mean, I know the secret show on Wednesdays with you, Sandy Danto and Jason Tebow was great, and it's I yeah, mean, but it was like let's be real. I mean, uh, it, our show was good, but it was like you know thirty people at the most, at the most. These guys are getting like standing room only out the back. You can't get into the room. I mean, they're having to put, uh, and when I say security, I use that term loosely, uh, you know, a, a store employee at the front and at the back uh, entrances to, like, keep people out. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a show. And, and one of my favorite store employees, Breaking News, I don't even know if you know this. You might. I mean, you're like the Matt Drudge of the store. You, you got sources everywhere. The great Alex Phillips fired. Is no longer an employee at the comedy Here's store. Here's what's ridiculous about that. Um, they have a new manager. I like him, Eric. But he's made a fundamental uh, flaw, mistake in uh, assessing the store. I've seen this happen before. Okay, Here's the problem. The store is employed by comedians who are, by definition, unreliable. But on the flip side, you get these unreliable, bad employees but you're able to pay them dirt wages because you have something they need, which is stage time. It is a two-sided system. You have a good that they need, and therefore you can exploit them. In the same way that you have, if you have fruit you need to be picked, you can't go to people who live in this country legally because they'll tell you to fuck yourself. Then you, you have to go to the underclass. The underclass are comedians. Now, the problem is they're trying to pull out one but not the other. They're trying to treat these comedians now like they're legitimate employees. right? Like they're gonna, They have this fantasy where they're going to bring on just regular people to work these shitty jobs. But the problem is that regular people don't care about stage time, which comedians do. So they're not going to be as exploited as much. They all, so the, they also do this thing where they're like writing people up, which is insanity, like treating like real employees. When you start writing people up, when you start cutting out half of the stage time, which they've done by removing Sunday, what you do is you have a system where comics aren't going to want to work there, they don't really care because you have no leverage over them. 
And then when you try to get regular people to work there, they'll say, why would I work there for these wages? So they, like Alex, I was told, well, it's a little, it's legitimate. They fired him. They wrote him up five times and it's like, write him up. What is that? Now he did not show up to shifts, but that's happened for as long as I've been at the store. I'm going to miss him. I... Oh, he won't be, there's no missing him. He's going to stick around. <laughs> He'll get all the spots he would have gotten anyway. Get the friends and family. It won't make a difference. That's the other thing too, is they don't give the employees edges in getting spots on those Mondays. So now there's really no reason for them to work there at all. And I think, uh, I don't know who makes the list to uh, for the potluck, but they're driving away a lot of good comics. Are they really? Because they're, I, I really don't know who makes the list, but you know, I think there's a lot of shenanigans with who gets on and who doesn't. Well, that makes sense. That's It's always been like that. When I was doing the open mic, which was years and years and years and years ago, it was like the problem was that there wasn't any shenanigans. So you put up 40 names, there'd be a truly random draw for 20. And then since a good 85% of them were crazy homeless people, those would be the people that would get the spots. I mean, I get it, you know. I mean, I'm, I go back and forth. Like, I love the store and how, like, the, the craziness is there. But then I also kind of like a, a club like Hermosa. Oh, well, Hermosa is like a different thing. And, but the problem completely is that different. you're never going to try. You can never turn the store into something that it isn't. It's always going to be crazy. If they try to turn in the laugh fact, which they've kind of tried to do with the people they give spots to, it doesn't quite work. It just doesn't. No, I mean, I you know. The store is like the... Uh, the slayer of comedy clubs and the- well it's kind of like the store is very much like right now those bands that had that record deal in 1999 and it's like you can't turn them into the cars yeah. and nobody wants to see them anyway mm-hmm. so they're kind of stuck and the laugh factory is bon jovi they're just that corporate they're always going to be corporate and they're always going to have a fan base and people are always going to want to come and you know the store is rat playing ukaipa and dying of aids well <laughs> I mean, that's what it comes down to. But we all love it there. I mean, yeah, I, I don't it's know. home until it gets paved. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it would make a great parking structure for the Andaz. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Although the Andaz have problems too. Like that part of the strip, I don't think is financially as viable as it once was. I don't think the hotel's doing as well. I know that they were doing that big, they had that big development project. The Millennium. Well, but then that was, that was delayed for years. Well, I think that. The, the collapse. What's going to be like the 405 uh, renovation? It's just, I mean, the 405 is worse, uh, yeah. you know, than, than ever. So, you know, and what the strip, it, it, I think the whole strip is dead because. Yeah. Well, remember when we were like, like, I remember when I got here, you could not walk. It was yeah. too full. Remember they had the rule about no cruising. It was so full and so busy. And then. It was, you know, the funny thing is they even like had that rule where they remember the parking rule where after two two a.m. they uh, they towed everybody's cars, yeah. they put up confusing signs, towed everybody's cars to, and they collected money that way. And I think what it did was drive people away. Well, I mean, and and a lot of cray and musically anyway at the clubs, it's a lot of shitty pay to play bands, which are basically the. Yeah, music. but even in the early 2000s, it was shitty pay-to-play bands, too. Just for whatever reason, it was really full. There were Dublins, and then it just kind of died. Well, Dublins was great, and then uh, but you had the Key Club, yeah. Billboard Live. I mean, when it was Gazzari's, it was awesome. But, you know, that end of the Strip's dead. That's Jay-Z's club now, and I'd never see really? people there. And, and so the Strip needs, I don't know what it needs, but. 
You It'll know. come back because it's cyclical, but I don't know when it comes back, the store will be part of it. In the same way that, you know, I'm sure people at Ciro's thought, you know, Big Band's going to come back. And then next thing you know, it was a comedy club there. I'm sure they were resentful as can be. Well, I think the stores are getting a bit of a resurgence with shows like the battle thing. And, you know, I, what I love most about the battle is that people hang after. Like That is great. Yes, there is a real uh, sense of community there. People will, it's really full. People come out, they'll be talking about it. It's uh, Tuesday nights are really good. Now, my guess is the battle doesn't have long for the store because once it gets sold to television, that's the end of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know how it would work, though, like in another, like the belly room, if you've ever been there, it's like the perfect place for that battle. All they need is a small room that looks kind of like the belly room. It wouldn't be that tough for them to replicate it. Like the Knitting Factory. Uh, did you ever do comedy there? No, there was a guy who ran shows there. And I, I remember trying to get on, and I didn't get on. And then later, he ran it with another guy. He he came out and said, look, I have stole all the money for the shows because I was doing cocaine. And then he came up to me when he was making amends and said, look, I'm sorry I didn't get you booked in the show. I, I actually actively didn't get you booked in the show because I didn't want you to do it. I'm coming to make amends. And I said, get the fuck away from me. I never wanted to talk to you then. I don't want to talk to you now. Like, he goes, no, I'm trying to apologize. I go, no, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Just get the fuck away. Uh, that was the closest I ever came to doing the Knitting Factory. Well, it was a great show just because the room, like the belly room, was very small and it was, people were on top of you. So when you were really? killing, it was great. But, you know. Yeah, small rooms are really good for comedy. It's the reason the OR is a better vibe than the main room. Although I've done the main room like twice ever, so I couldn't really tell you. <laughs> I think Ian Bag had the best line ever after uh, Mike Magid, this comic. Uh, yeah. You know, he wasn't doing too well. He was, he was, he was kind of bombing. Mike Magid is a damn nice guy, but yeah. A great guy, uh, but, you know, he, he, he kind of yeah. just only do the same set. And literally in six years, I'd walk into That's the room. That's always a bad sign, yeah. And it's, uh, he, was a, he was a bad schmoozer. We were talking about Whitney and yeah. Whit- both Whitney's. The saddest thing is a bad climber. Yeah, he was just too obvious. and Because and, you can't trust them so they, they lose both ways he but tried so, too hard yeah what did ian bag say about him so imagine bombs for about 10 minutes it's dead silent and there it's packed and ian gets up there and goes hey uh this is a horrible ian bag impression but uh hey give it up for mike magic the guy who stole all the wool out of the knitting factory i mean just so and magic was so delusional and stupid he walks up to ian afterwards and goes hey man thanks for the compliment <laughs> <laughs> It's so, uh, and it was also the Knitting Factory was the place where this one comic, uh, Peter Prenz, uh, who's, uh, you know, maybe not the strongest comic, uh, he was bombing one night, and I knew his whole act, because he was kind of like Magid-like. Yeah. He, he would just do the same stuff. So I went behind the curtain, and there was a hole in the curtain, perfect size for me to put my dick through. So after every, when I knew the punchline was coming, I'd stick my huge boner out. And then huge last week, thought he was killing. Thought he was killing. Next night, we're at some shitty open mic. He's doing the same set. Nothing. Dead silence. In a he's very, like, look, you assholes. This killed at the knitting factory last night. He comes out to me afterwards. like got this real disheveled look on us. He's like, Earl, dude, I don't know what happened, man. This act killed last night. <laughs> well, there's no curtain behind you. <laughs> that is... <laughs> I mean, so there's so many characters in the world of uh, L.A. stand-up, you know. Yeah, the guy who does his same act over and over and over again, is that's especially sad because it's also like they just eventually they decide on something. Like, I'm just going to do this, and that's what I got to do. The same thing over and over. 
I'm going to do this. Like, they just settle on it. They're like, finally found it. This is the thing. I mean, I've always tried to change it up. I don't think I've ever done the same set list uh, twice. Yeah, no, you're you're good about that. But then some people, <laughs> I even know people that are very funny that have done that. Well, you get into a, I guess, a habit of just, you know. My friend, my friend Jake, who is very funny and really good off the cuff, did a festival one year and then they told him, we're bringing you back next year. So for the next year, he did the open mic and did the same set over and over and over and over again. It was like, oh, don't do this. And after a while, you'd know the set. Right. And the ultimate punchline is he did poorly when he went back. It was like, he felt like he had wasted time. Yeah. I mean, who knows what those festivals are like? Yeah. I mean, I, did you ever audition for Montreal? I ended up auditioning for it once years after there was any chance of me getting it. I mean, hell, there's no chance of me getting it anywhere. Uh, but no, I auditioned for it once. I did poorly and never auditioned. I think I even auditioned for the Dirty Show, but the problem is I'm not really dirty. Yeah, you're more cerebral. Like. Yeah, I, I get people upset, but that's not It's not with anything dirty. It's just like if there were an, a, like a show that like an objectionable show, that would be more my speed. But even then, it was like... I did it. I did poorly, and that was that. You should get a one-man show at Montreal. That would you'd be a superstar after that week. Oh, sure. But here's the problem too: you can't Montreal festivals like that don't work on the. All the industry comes to see the new faces. You know, one-man show. Nobody gives a fuck. They yeah, come I'd, to see the new faces. Also, I don't know what my one-man show would be. Just you taking questions from a bunch of francophones. <laughs> my phone number is eight one eight nine one nine. That's the best part, and it's very original, man. Like Dave, if you've never seen him, well, first of all, he stands on top of the balcony or the uh, the table at the. I comedy stole that store. from Spanky Hayes, <laughs> uh, and here's what Spanky Hayes is a very funny comic, black guy, very funny. Uh, well, was on Wild and Out, but he's like five three. And he would stand on the table and it would make him like a reasonable height and it worked great. I'm like, oh, I got to do that. And then when I do it, my head brushes the ceiling. But it's very, uh, it definitely stands out. No one does it. Yeah, everybody, when I was start, when I was started doing that, everybody would do the Tripoli move, which is one leg on the table. And I was doing it too. You put one leg on the table and you lean forward. And what it does is it lets you peer through the lights because there are seams in the lights, the right. comedy store. And if you're in the lights, you can't see the crowd. But if you see through them. But then I was like, I'm being triply here and it didn't quite work for me. But then when I started doing the table, also what it lets me do is Dice's advice is you always want to move around when you're doing stand-up because otherwise people will get bored with you. He said, move around. It's like having a camera moving. So I noticed the only way I would move around is when I was on the table, I'd walk back and forth. And that was why I did it. Right. Also, it gives an element of I'm always worried about falling because those tables are very, very oh, unstable. Yeah. And that lets me focus on something other than what I'm talking about. Well, it's innovative, and the, the phone texting, the questions. I haven't done that as texting as much as I used to, uh, but... Uh, well, I think because idiots like me were asking you to see say some pretty racially insensitive things. Uh, no, it wasn't even that. It's just you get bored with anything if you do it enough, and then you... Uh, the tech, The best part was texting. People, the people who would text in, it was like great lines. You had great things... Tony Henchcliffe had great lines. Tebow. Well, he doesn't Tebow, have a phone. Great line. What? I don't think Tebow has a phone. That Tebow had some really good phone. The best text I ever got in all the time, probably the best line I ever heard at the store was one night we had Marie on, this girl Marie, who had dated Benji Aflalo and also another person at the store. I'm not going to say his name because he never wants me to talk about okay. it. Okay. But the line what Tony said is, Marie smells like the person we know, his nuts and Benji's pool. And it was the perfect line. It was like, and it was such a short text and encapsulated everything. And Marie was a waitress at waitress, the store, yes. and then uh, 
Very cool girl, but you you know it's like that that this comes back to the advice I give. You know, female comics. You know, if you want to be taken seriously, you know, you can't fuck. Well, it's the Hell's Angels. Yeah, the Hell's Angels had that uh, system, and I you read the Hunter Thompson book about the Hell's Angels. I did not. It's an amazing book. He wrote the second half in forty eight hours because he thought he said he thought at that point that publishers' deadlines meant something. Right. So he had load up at speed wrote the second half, and it's very first half is very like straight laced, but then the second half sort of anticipates the Hunter Thompson style. But according to Hunter Thompson. Women in the Hell's Angels work under uh, two principles. That you can be one of two people. You could be an old lady or you could be a mama. Now, old ladies are somebody dating someone, like uh, you know, like such and such as old lady. Now, mamas belong to everybody at the group. And he said you can be an old lady for one guy, then you can be an old lady for another guy. But at some point, if you date, say, a third guy or just too many, it's sort of amorphous. You become a mama, and then you belong to everyone. He said, you can go from an old lady to a mama, but you can never go from a mama to an old lady. And that's the risk that female comics run. The store is, if you date too many people, you become a mama. Yeah, you're, and then you're done. You yeah, and it's, you know, it's not even like you're done. People have made moves past it. You know? But it's very hard. I can I mean. name, say, talk show hosts that have been known for having sex with lots of male comics. But it's not even it's very hard. It's like, you know, figure out what you want. You're right. I mean, it's not... Maybe you're not. It's very hard, though. I think, like, once you get that reputation of a chuckle yeah. fucker, I guess. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, we've known a few that have. Uh, you, I think, a good rule is once you break the ten barrier, you really are uh, a legend. Well, that was the best. I remember uh, one of our first true bonding uh, conversations was in the parking lot of the store, which really should be the site of a talk show. I mean, so many yeah. great topics get covered there. Uh, when we tried to add up the number, the two particular female comics, yeah, the and number you, of people you, they had slept with. Oh yeah, the funny thing is when you when you have a, a that like it helps have a couple people because there's always somebody that comes up. You're like, oh that person, I didn't know that. Well, it was like the roast battle, tit for tat section almost, mm -hmm. where you okay, you had the one girl, I had the other girl. I'm like, okay, uh, let's start. You name a name, I'll name a name, and it literally went on for five minutes before it went for we a ran out of yeah. names. Absolutely, uh, James Painter. Uh, oh, James Painter showed up on a lot. I of think lists. he was on both, both uh, lists, those yeah. lists. Uh, Mike Black, really? Yeah, uh, that's I remember. I know exactly. Yeah, uh, I forgot about Mike Black. It just went on where we each had named about twelve comics each, and but it's you know, but for male comics, it's like. I don't know if it helps your career, but it's like you definitely get. Uh... It depends on how you do it, because if you are a male comic who's good looking, then that's that's the stud thing. But there is an element of if you're like if you look like me, say, and slept with a lot of female comics, which I have not, and you did it like through kind of thing. That's not how I do it, but like the guys who do it by exploiting them, they don't get the the respect. Like the guys who say, "I'm going to help out your career," then they're they're kind of treated. Not stud, not slut, kind of in the middle, like weirdos. See, you are a good-looking guy, and I'm not uh, a bone jammer. It's very kind of you to say. But you've got a great look. Like I think you and I are similar looking from the standpoint of, I'm not, like, I don't think either one of us is model-looking, but I think we, we... have. You know what it is? Is we fit, and yours is maybe a more broadly palatable one, but we both fit types. If you are a type, and you are an extreme version of that type, uh, then you will do better than anybody would ever think because somebody will like that type and right. think, well, you're the best thing, you know? But I think you you have a great confidence about you. Like you, 
walk around the store and, and I, I don't know if I have this, but it's almost like a Rick Rude strut. This is the weird thing about that is my brother was saying that. He was like saying, you know, people think you're smart, David, but I don't think you're smart. I think you're just confident. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really see that at all. But if I've managed to trick my brother, then I feel like I've done, you know, but well, I, I have, mean, I have very little confidence. Well, but that's the whole illusion. You got to yeah, yeah. like Jeff Richards told me, and this was, I think, more than stand up. Uh, it was more for stand up than what we're talking. He's like, fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, he, he, it's a great saying. Like you, Jeff have- Richards, like that guy. I remember the story was before SNL. He was talking to somebody. He goes, you know, people are going to say I'm arrogant now. That I've got SNL, but I've always been arrogant. And everyone's like, yeah, you have always been arrogant. You know, he's uh, any stand-up advice. He's like, you got to act like every word out of your mouth is the word. Oh, that's absolutely true. When it comes to being on stage, there, there's no question there because, uh, funny or not funny, you know, implicit. Like people say, well, I would like to do stand-up, but I'm not funny, and it's like, who cares? It doesn't matter. The absolute necessity for stand-up is not being funny. Hell, look at all the people that are really successful that aren't funny. It's you have to feel like you're the one person in that room who should be talking. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if you have that, then you will. That's what you need. You know, that's that's the difference between. Think of all the people we knew growing up who were really funny, that are doing other stuff. Oh yeah, Probably like Painter. Have, I mean, you know, I Painter mean, was very funny, very very funny. But ultimately, he didn't quite have that confidence that he should have had. But I would love to be a talent. Uh, not coordinator, booker on a television show and book the people I think are funny because I think the funniest people we both know. Well, the joke is that talent bookers don't book the people they think are funny. They book the people that other people think are funny because just like all executive positions, you're you're never living alone. You're always in the middle of a group of people and you have to be able to justify your decisions to not get fired. But Well, you're right. But I mean, I would just love to expose oh, the yeah. world to a Tebow Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, well, I mean, absolutely, Angelo yeah. before he died. You know, it's uh, funny. The last thing I said to Angelo because I talked to him the night he died, uh, and it was that was 2013, right? It was last year, right? Um, yeah, no, I think it was two years ago. I think it was one year, but it might be two. Let's assume it was two years ago, though. Whatever it was, it was January 4th, like 2012, say. And I talked to him on the phone that night because he had been out of town. He came back, and I, you know, and then I said, you know what, man. 2012 was going to be your year. Wow. <laughs> he was dead within six hours. And that shows you the level of prognostication that I have. That I and that was like the warrior giving his final speech on Raw. Well, the, it was even worse because, remember, Angelo beat cancer. So it would be yeah. like, I mean, it wasn't like, he wasn't coming back saying like, oh, I'm, I'm, I might live forever. It was like, man, finally, things are good. Like, I remember having the crowd uh like, cause he when, before he went into surgery, I had the you know we called up the message on the voicemail, and I had the crowd in the OR, which is like twenty people, uh, all say "Get better, faggot." Well, uh, I mean, yeah, he was a great. I he mean, really was a great guy, I mean, and like, uh, you know, you think of all the people you'd love to see die in a car wreck, <laughs> and just so many, so many people that I would not bat an eye, that I would smile, that I would smile if I heard they were dead. Uh, and uh, Angelo was a good guy, and that's the thing, too. He's also, like, universally beloved. Oh, yeah, no, you would never find one. I mean, you know, like, as liked as I am, he makes me look hated. He <laughs> and Gerard Carmichael yeah. had that quality. I remember once I drove by, it's like, I drove by, I saw them, and then, I'm like, where are you guys? They were at a bus stop. Where are you guys headed? And they were heading somewhere, so I gave them a ride, and then, like, you know, 
now Gerard is very successful and Angelo is dead. Right, so I mean, Gerard's like great guy. He's so fucking really nice. talented You're too. Like you can't be this nice. You, there's got to be some angle. But yeah, I really mean, what I want is I want him to get famous, and he's super talented. I want to get famous just so I can watch him become an asshole. I've told people that. Like, I want to see that. I think it'd be really entertaining to see like like really asshole Gerard because it would just be so interesting. Like, how does he become like a famous asshole? See, I'm the same way with Jared Levin. Uh, I want to see him. Oh, I see exactly how he'd be. But see, I want to see him with money. Yeah, no, he'd be well. You wouldn't see him with money for very long because you'd see a lot of strippers with a lot of money. That's why I want to hang out with him. Oh yeah, like, like Jared Levin's a. <laughs> he's a. He would be such a exploited pussy freak. There's no. He would have money for like two days. Some girl would show up, and he would get her pregnant like that quick, and then there would be goodbye money. I mean, he might be the most gullible person I've ever met. Like, yeah, you know, there's one particular. Older comic who's, uh, uh, you know, he's a uh, a gay comic who has a uh, yeah a, a predatory liking towards younger comics and uh, everybody everybody either has a story about them or their roommate being invited to this guy's hot tub and uh, one night this uh, older comic took Jared to Denny's and was like deep throating sausages in front of him and. <laughs> And like giving him a back rub, and I told him uh, the next day, I'm like, dude, you know, you just be careful around this guy. He's he's a very uh, I, he's a predator. It's not there's nothing wrong with being gay, but he this guy is like, well, no, honestly, there's nothing wrong with being gay at all. It's not like you're saying, hey, be careful, he's gonna rape you. He wasn't. It's like, be careful, he's gonna fuck you. Would you have been happy to say to a girl? Oh, I if, would. Uh, yeah. I tell girls up there all the time, and and some people might think this is cock blocking. It's really not because uh, I'm not interested in ninety nine percent of these. Well, technically, it still is cock blocking. It's just not to your benefit. Well, well I mean, I, I think it's cock blocking, maybe with good intentions. Yeah, uh, possible, yeah. You know, um, you know, another thing too is that by and large, that warning only makes the guy seem more. Uh, glamorous well it, it you're right because the next day i walk into the uh, after my warning uh to the comedy store kitchen and this particular comic is giving jared a back rub of course and i'm like jared what are you doing jared got a ride down the west coast based on thwarted sexual yearning like, <laughs> so he that guy has ma- he's managed to do okay he knows where i know oh, i mean he, where his bread is buttered but he's like kind of like I think he's a little bit. I, he reminds me of me in the sense of he plays a dumb character, but he's. I think he's a little smarter than most people think he is. And like, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, so is every carbon-based life form. <laughs> no, I don't think Jared is dumb. He's just like he's got his own way of thinking. Uh, but it is funny that uh, you know that that predatory comic who people are fine with. Uh, you know, when he was successful, he must have had a lot more success in predation too. Well, I I used to when I first started in comedy in the early two thousands, I would do this open mic slash semi booked show at the Cock and Bull in Venice, which was a I great, remember that yeah, really cool uh, vibe there back in the day. And he would go there and he would do a lap. He'd be like Fabio at Equinox. He'd yeah. like circle the room once. Fabio does that at Equinox, but with chicks. And well, they, and they're, would that I, work? I think. Well, for, it does for Fabio. Really? He's Fabio actually quite a chicks? nice guy. Wait, Fabio still gets chicks? Oh my God, it's he's unbelievable. Really? I see him along with Polly. 
See, Pauly at Equinox. Fabio is kind of like the 90s Pauly, you, you know? So he must be doing great, but he's still getting women? Oh, yeah, because he's still, I mean, I'm, I'm 45. He's got to be at least five years older than me, so I'm assuming he's in his 50s. He still looks great, full head of hair, no plugs, extensions. Really? I'm sure he gets it colored, but and he looks great. That's not extensions? Oh, no, that's his real hair. Really? So, uh, you know, his... Uh, also, in much in the same way that Polly, if you have girls grow up thinking of you as one thing, then when they become adults, they still think of you that way. By and large, you could still, you know, Polly gets girls that remember when he was famous back in the day and still think of him as appealing. Fabio has to be getting some of that I remember you pussy. Yeah, I remember it's not butter. You know, yeah, and, oh uh, yeah. He was just in my friend's really funny movie, Dumbbells, which, okay. uh, it, you know, it, Dumbbells is really funny if you've ever belonged to a gym because they just play on the stereotypes of, yeah. you know, like the, you know, one of the stereotypes was the older kind of good looking guy who's holding on to like, yeah. Um, and uh, the guy who actually played that part was the first male supermodel. Who was it? And he got abducted by a cult in real life. Uh, I don't remember his name, but very good looking guy. It doesn't surprise me. Hoyt or something. Oh, uh, oh. The, uh, Hoyt oh. Wilhelm? No, no. Yeah, no. it's something. It's like, no, he was the guy. Yeah, I know exactly. I think he went to Princeton. Yeah, yeah. That's this guy. And he was like, not the first Marlboro man, but he was like yeah, something like, a like that. Yeah, blonde guy. Yeah. Very oh, good looking. And he like played... If you've ever been to a gym member or been a member to gym, you've seen this guy that Hoyt was playing. You know, the, the, you could tell this guy was a stud in his twenties, but now he's approaching fifty, and he's like, you know, blow drying his balls in the yeah. locker room, and uh, it's really uh, funny. What movie. was Fabio in that movie? Fabio just pl- basically played Fabio, played Fabio yeah. and uh, you know, he is a stereotype unto himself. Oh, he's great. I mean, so I'm, he comes to Equinox. He does it, does a lap, and does and he just, pick? Girls come to him. Really? It's the same thing with Polly. Polly's even funnier to watch at Equinox. Polly gets girls coming to him at Equinox? He'll be in the most far eastern corner of the room. And the second story at Equinox is very big. I mean, I'm assuming it's, I don't know, thirty to 40,000 square feet. um, And it's all kinds of equipment. And Polly will be doing his stomach crunches or texting on, on the bike. And the minute a hot chick walks in the room, he looks up instantly. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got like this... Incredible sense for it? Like eighth sense of just a hot chick in the room. And yeah. it's so funny. And they go, they come to him. So Good for Polly. Good for Polly. I mean, uh, which is funny because I see him in Equinox and I see him at the store. He, he looks at me like, I know this guy, but you know, I, I've never really talked to him, so... I've Paulie has always been very nice to me. He uh, he's the reason I got passed to the store. You know that. I don't. What, well, but yeah. How do I'd like to know how you got passed to uh, the store? It was a complete fluke, as it always is. I uh, I worked there for for a couple of years. Now my biggest fear was getting fired because a comic named Ron Swallow had worked for the store for a couple of weeks. He said, "Hey, Mitzi, Mitzi, come watch my set. Watch my set." Which bad move right there to begin with. Whoever you are. She made her go watch the set in the belly room. She watched and said, oh, you're fired. Uh, So my biggest fear was that she would see me and then fire me. And at that point when I was working there, on Sundays, she would come in every couple weeks, see the employees, see the showcasers. And if you got in front of her as a showcase, you get passed at any point. So for two years, I refused to go in front of her. I always move it around so I wouldn't have to go up. Well, it went like that for two years. And I got to a point where I was like... uh, 
I was going to, I wanted to showcase just to host the open mic. That's all I wanted to do. I knew I wasn't going to get passed, but I wanted to get the open mic. And I was going to go up one night, but Judy Chinchado bumped me, as it turned out. <laughs> she bumped me, bombed, Mitzi left. Okay. Uh. A couple weeks later, I get my chance again. And Mitzi is just having a good day emotionally. She passed four people and she passed me. I was one of the earliest to get passed out of my employee class, even though it took me two years to do it. They, she just And the reason she passed me was, at that point, she only came in every couple weeks. So people would always jump and like talk to her. And sometimes you she wouldn't hear your set because she was too busy like talking to other people. But Polly was sitting next to her. And when I got on stage, Polly goes, Mom, you got to pay attention to this guy. Mom, he's funny. Mom. And that's why I got passed. I did a set. Didn't go particularly well, but she liked whatever. And then I that's got passed. That's great. And that's how I got passed. And then the joke is I only got to host the open mic like four times ever. Like I never, I got passed to be a comic, but never got to host the open mic. Well, I mean, the store's wacky. Uh, yeah, I wasn't unhappy about that, but it was, that's, I, you know, I wanted one thing, I got something better. Well, you are one of the true kings of late night there. Uh, no, it's just, I'm somebody who goes up at the end of the night. That's not the same. Being a king of late night is like saying, David, you really rule that garbage truck. The way you stand on it. it well, I told you this the other night. I, You know, Tommy, the talent coordinator, was uh, there when you were up the other night in front of a packed house. And... The look on his face was priceless. He was like a proud dad watching his kid hit a homer. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he said after, he said, well, I'm going to start getting you up 11 o'clock spots, you know, better spots. And I'm telling you, Earl, I guarantee you, spots will come on Thursday. I will have a 1230 or 1245, same as I ever did. Because if you're looking for long-term memory or short-term memory from a guy who smokes that much pot, good luck. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know I've... Uh... Yeah, I wouldn't say I love hate relationship with Tommy. I mean, he's he's cordial to me, but I'm uh, still trying to crack the uh, the exterior. I guess you'd say. Yeah, it's it's uh, anybody treating that like anything that should be taken seriously is ridiculous. It's like you get up, you do your spot, you leave. I got lucky on Sunday because it's Easter Sunday. Oh, it was Saturday, and it was Easter Sunday was the next day, and for some reason it was really full i think because everybody yeah. was taken off the next day because it was easter sunday and it was a really not religious crowd that was the most that's the busiest i've seen the store late at night on a saturday for a while well i remember walking by the room and going, oh my god there's tons of people up there in days on and, and then i walked in i mean it was you know, packed and uh, yeah it was full and it was beyond full too it was also full with people that weren't because uh, if you sometimes you go up and it's full but people are ready to leave it's like there's different phases of the night. That's another thing, too, is that people will see someone going up at 11 o'clock and think he's fundamentally better than somebody going up at 1230 because of the way the crowd responds. But it's like that's a different crowd, even oh, the same yeah. number of people. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, but people are wired so that they believe in the response of others. So that you would think, oh, well, logically, this guy is creating this environment. But what's really creating it is another hour and a half of drinking and people who are ready to get out and drive home. Yeah, which is why I always love uh, Don Barris uh, closing it out because he gets laughs out of just completely beat up audiences. Yeah, that's the toughest thing in the world. And, and it's like, yeah. You know, I don't think anyone else in that place. People could. will see you walking people at 1230 and think it's your fault. And it's like, I'm not walking them. What's walking them is their babysitter. Right. Yeah, yeah. They their have card to, uh, has got a lot is 
they're thinking about they gotta wake up for tomorrow it's like all these external factors the least important thing in the world to them is some dude on a stage they've never met well it's like last night i forget who the comic was they were doing really well and uh literally he got off and brought up byron bowers who's a great comic and like 70 percent of the crowd left before byron even said his first joke and it's like i think that was me i brought up byron bowers no no it wasn't you uh it was like it was a it was a white comic. I, I'm seeing like it wasn't you. Maybe it was two nights ago. Then two nights ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people just all everybody leaves, and then you think, well, did this person drive everyone away? It's like, man, people get up. Another thing too is that people will get up, see other people leaving, and people see other people leaving. Oh, I got to go. Which is why often the last people left at a show are the people in the very front because they can't see the people behind right. them leaving. I just always love Don's line when he gets up there and a lot of the crowds leave and he's like, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Why don't you throw a log of shit at me while you're leaving? I always tell people, hey, look, don't leave now. I'm the last person you'll see and that's, nobody wants that. I'll be what you think. If you leave now, I'm what you're going to think of on that drive home. It's not going to be good. I said, wait three minutes and then leave during the next comment because <laughs> that'll really have more of an impact. I like it when sometimes the crowd's leaving, and not because of you, but just like you said, yeah. they want to go home, and you're like, thank you, I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. Yeah, when Get people out. leave during, that's a real a real <laughs> pet peeve. They leave at the beginning of my set. It's like, hey, man, you got to go. But you leave during my set. I'm definitely praying for your death if I'm in a bad mood. What was the one time you, there was a fat girl in the audience who was kind of heckling you? I, I think she was from Australia, and... You said something like even your back is back. You you really gave it to her. Like oh, the worst thing I've ever said to an audience member. It was along these lines: is I'm on stage and it's a night everybody was doing great. I was working as an employee and everybody is just murdering, just murdering. Ari's hosting. Jay London kills before me. I go up and I'm bombing. And it's a three minute set. I'm like, how am I bombing in three minutes? But I bomb immediately, and I bomb for three minutes. And some girl says. I go, what, do you have something to say? I go, I won't say anything to you. And then she goes, your light's on. And that is always a pet peeve of mine. And I said, well, it's nice to see the diabetes hasn't made you go blind yet. That, maybe that was it. And she, the crowd goes, boo! I mean, they are booing. They're boo! And I laughed and laughed. And I go off the stage, you know, feeling good about myself. And uh, the girl goes to the guy working the ticket booth to complain about me and she's in tears and she goes to the guy working the ticket booth to complain and the guy with the ticket booth is me so she goes what you said about me is fucked up i go that's the onstage me the offstage me is totally different what? she goes it's fucked up i go onstage offstage different and then i looked away <laughs> well you know i, I love because you know most people aren't going to be as smart as you who are heckling you so they get kind of aggro and almost like a you know, a situation type of response. Oh, you talking to me? And then the way you cerebrally just fucking zing them, and they're not smart enough to take the zinger. To you know, it I've even done funnier. a lot, lot less of it than I mean. Like I built a reputation on it, and I've just done it a lot less. Uh, I'm not sure why, but if they come at me, I'm absolutely happy to uh, to engage them. But I've done a lot less of uh, beating on crowds, I guess, because you know, I feel like I've established that and. uh I, I did enjoy it, but then, you, you know, like anything, you do something new. But nobody's aware of it because it's like once you establish it. It's like that Mark Twain quote, the easiest way to sleep in is have a reputation for waking up early. 
you know, I have a reputation for waking up real early. Well, see, I like to take the opposite approach of just uh, zinging them with a line from an 80s action movie, and they, they really... Oh, yeah, Ravishing Girl Skakel, zinging them with uh, with the wrestling line, a classic. Have you been doing Ravishing Girl? Uh, no, I only do it with you, to be honest What about Don? You've been doing it with Don. Uh, no, I don't think Don uh, appreciates the... When you uh, get naked. Don doesn't seem to like that. I don't think Don uh, is as big as a wrestling fan as you are. Yeah, uh, that could be. So he doesn't really appreciate the references and and uh, you also, know. Also, yeah, I like being the mean Gene Okerlund to that. Yeah. I also do enjoy. Uh, well, you Ravishing Girl, for those who haven't seen it, leads into Earl's impression of Buffalo. Is Buffalo Bob or Buffalo Bill? Buffalo Bill? Buffalo Bill, Bill from Silence of the Lambs, and that impression involves full frontal nudity. And the best <laughs> is that you'll tuck your dick and balls between your legs and it's not visible to the crowd until the end, but to the people on the side, it's completely <laughs> visible. So I've seen that thing so many times. I feel like I've given, like I delivered you. I've seen your oh, dick and balls so many times. Like, But what's funny is like Adam eBay was sitting off to the side one <laughs> night and he goes, oh God, he could see it. He goes, I'm like, Adam, you can see that every time. Well, I mean, the comedy store is also the same venue that comedians show each other their dick pics like baseball cards oh yeah absolutely that's i've seen so many dick pics i mean uh, uh, jamar neighbors showed me his i showed him mine jeff scott comes in it's like we, you literally at one point had four comics uh, in a circle in the patio at the store showing each other their dick pics <laughs> like hey here's my dave parker jamar's, rookie jamar's method of showing the dick pic is really fiendishly clever have you heard this uh-uh. jamar will have um he has two pictures on it <laughs> the first picture is his home screen right and the second picture is dick pic now he'll put his home screen on and he'll hand the phone and goes oh my phone is is frozen could you help me out my phone's frozen now the first thing people do is they swipe at a frozen screen right, right. and all it does is swipes to the next picture which is jamar's dick pic which is a massive dong I'm, is it really yeah it's pretty big so uh, I do the opposite where I ask people if they want to see my new commercial uh, headshot. Another classic. Yeah, another classic. And I really draw it out. I'm like, hey, <laughs> listen, I, you know, I just, you know, I'm trying to, you know, stand up's not really working for me right now. I'm, you know, I, you know, I was told that, you know, if you get better uh, commercial pictures, you know, you get a couple national commercials that help your stand up. And I'm just, you know, I found this guy and Backpage and, uh, you know, uh, will you look at it? Just give me your uh, honest opinion on, like, if this would sell, like, Budweiser or Nike. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm just, what do you think? And I'll show them the phone and they're just, the look is priceless. It's like watching the two girls one cup reactions. I've seen, Ar Tebow showed me Ari's dick pic and he goes, what do you notice about it? I'm like, he's wearing two left socks. He goes, that's exactly what I was going to point out. So... You know, such is life at the comedy store. You must get there. It's the rock and roll uh, comedy club of the city. You know, here's the way the story is, and I assume our interview is about over, and if it isn't, it should be, because I feel like we've, we've well, tapped let's out. See, you but know, I will say this about the store. is like people will come there because they're not sure if they should be at the improv or the store, and then a lot of people are like, I'll never come back, but the people that come back, come back. We are at an hour and 34 minutes. That's about right. Mo done. Most ones i do are like under an hour just because you know you run out of things to talk about yeah. i mean your history is i mean we could do another hour but you know like the rat song I, I feel bad because i feel like if i had something to promote it would help listenership like the, 
You know what? David Arquette, that was a great get. That's going to get you. Has that gotten you some listeners? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Tani and uh, David Arquette episodes, you know, it, it helps the other ones. Like, you know, yeah, when absolutely. I uh, posted the Tani one, I think people, I think Gail's was the one previous to that. So they were like, oh. Who, Let's that, listen oh. again. Yeah. Tani so. is like this. She's got great stories. David Arquette, which I have not listened to yet. Great stories. Drew really Levin good. had a great story. He's not, you know, famous, but that's one that people should listen to just in general. Well, I'm working on. Uh, I mean, I I really started this not to yeah. interview celebrities, but well, you, you know, know they what? do get the numbers. Yeah, I feel like you uh, people once they figure out your, you'll get a base of Earl heads. You know, like people that are excited. But seriously, you got to have it so that when people search for Earl Skakel on, on iTunes, iTunes, no, because nobody's looking for fucking inappropriate Earl. That's just, I mean, it's the title, but just you got to have, you know. How do you do that though? And I know that people, I don't know. Talk to Ari Manis. Oh, yeah, Ari Manis, my uh, actually, wait, do you have Earl Skakel as a search term in iTunes? Well, I do, but my comedy album pops up Earl Alive. Which, well, make Earl make when you. I think you can. Which attached might be the worst recorded I comedy you could album. To, no, I could name you a worse one. I attached the Earl Skakel term to your podcast. Okay. Uh, the worst one was, remember those people were, um, there was a period there where they a couple of comics had um, comedy albums that were put into gas stations up and down the California. Right. And they were recorded without an audience. They were just recorded at home and then they put a laugh track in. Wow. Like Painter did one, I remember. <laughs> I probably should have done that because I had a basically what I have now the Zoom recorder. Yeah, but I, I was such a moron. I had the mics. <laughs> you didn't mic the audience. Well, I I didn't put the money into that. Miking the audience is not fair. You know, it's not yeah. incredibly expensive, but you know, yeah. it, it does involve some work. So I got the Zoom recorder, but I had the mics facing away from the audience. Oh it's yeah, very muzzled and but you know. Also, the problem is if you have like a point source recorder, which often is like any microphone, then it won't get crowd noise nearly as well as like uh, like a dis- defer a diffuse crowd noise as much as just one specific speaker, which is you. Yeah. That's why when you listen to recordings of your set, crowd always sounds a lot not as loud as it did to you. And then when I was opening up for Rob Schneider, they would uh, most of these places would tape off their system, which sounded amazing. Yeah. But, uh, most of these places... Uh, they don't mic the audience. Well, they, they do, but the, the, my intro was horrible usually. They would just uh, butcher my name and, and throw me out there. Earl Skunkle. Skunkle, Eric Skunkle. <laughs> uh, you know, the biggest gig I ever did with him was some beautiful like $100 million theater in, uh, not Modesto, Santa Rosa. Yeah. it was. I think it was the last place Carlin performed at. Uh, you know, the, where all the big specials were filmed for a while, and uh, the guy just said, "Get out there!" No introduction <laughs> at all. So you hear, "Get the, out there!" Would be a good name for your comedy album. Yeah, you yeah, get out there. So you should have been here last week. <laughs> um, so it's like you know, I don't know, but you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still just trying to figure it out. Fourteen, fifteen. Well, here's years the one in. thing I do know, and that is nobody cares about. And I don't mean your, I mean just in general. Nobody cares about your comedy album. Even the successful ones no, right. don't sell a lot. It's just a forum that's dead. And that's fine. Um, but it's like nobody cares about albums. Well, I just wanted to... Uh, I probably rushed getting it out there just to say... That's not a bad idea. But it's like, you know what? The podcast is the comedy album the way that the mixtape is the... Uh, right. 
I mean, I was more proud of the artwork on the album cover, which I'm surprised Gene Simmons hasn't sent me a cease and desist. That's uh, when you'll know you've made it, when Simmons gets upset with you. Well, it's a great... If you have a chance, go look at it on iTunes. Do you have it up on your website? This should be attached to our podcast. I, I don't so even have a website. It, if anybody but... listens all the way through. Wait, you don't have a website hosting this fucking podcast? I'm on SoundCloud, and which uh, when you... Uh, Oh, you have your own little SoundCloud website. When you upload on Sound... Well, I do have uh, my SoundCloud page. So this podcast has a page. Yeah. Put the picture up on that page. So it's uh, Kiss Alive 2, but instead it just says Earl Alive 2. And what the great thing about Kiss Alive 2 was they had the coolest pictures of a sweaty and bloody Gene Simmons, and then Paul looked like an angel because he had this purple glow behind him. Ace looked bombed out of his mind, and Peter looked like he didn't know where he was. So I just replaced those pictures with similar pictures of me. That's that's a great idea. But I don't know. You, you're a smart guy. You, is that copyright infringement, me basically copying? No, I, I mean, honestly, you'd have to ask a lawyer, but I'd say no. Because I was so hopeful, and this shows you where my delusion is at, that the album would take off and I'd be like this big fucking celeb, not celebrity, but like, oh my God, Earl's album's great. I had a second... Uh, Second album done uh, off the Kiss album, Animal Eyes, <laughs> which was a great album. Earl, why don't you just do this for your podcast? Well, you're right, but I'm just I'm giving you a taste of okay. what, you know. Same, same, it, yeah, yeah. It was called Earl Eyes. With, it was so stupid. And then I, I, then I did another one. Earl, but, you have, the, the, the drawings have been done? I was basically ripping off every yes. Kiss album cover. Then why don't you put some of these up for your podcast? You're right. I, you know, I, I know you're think, part of you thinks, well, I'm saving these for my future albums, but you got them done. You might as well do it. And then Lick It Up was Earl It Up. <laughs> of course, uh, Animal Eyes, if you Kiss fans are listening, is the only album with the great Mark St. John uh, on guitar. Rest in peace. Well, the people that listen, my fan base and Kiss's fan base, that's the same fan base. So I'm guaranteeing they're going to know these references. And Lick It Up, obviously, the entire album written by the great Vincent Cusano, otherwise known as Vinny Vincent, who I'm, oh, a, I'm obsessed Vinny with. Oh, Vincent Invasion? The Vincent Invasion. You wrote the whole album? Wrote the whole album. It was making 500 bucks a week because Gene and Paul were like, hey, you're, you're not uh, uh, a full-time member. You're a hired gun. Just shut up and write the songs and play guitar. And If you write the songs, don't you get the writing credit? Well, I think he gave his publishing. He, he, didn't, he wasn't the smartest guy. Oh, you know the story about Dolly Parton, right? uh uh-uh. Okay, this is one last story. And then Oh, please. I'm not right. No, 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 I, I feel here. like something to close on it. Dolly Parton had a song she wrote, and it was a you know, song. It had some, She recorded Not a Big Deal. Colonel Tom Parker comes to her and says, Elvis wants to record this song. She goes, great, because Elvis wrote your song. You're going to make a lot of money. He goes, okay, but the deal is Elvis has to split publishing with you. He has to get half the songwriting rights. That's the deal. If Elvis does a song, he gets publishing rights. She said, mm, no, I don't think so, which seems like a crazy decision. I mean, it's Elvis. Half a loaf is better than none, right? That song was I Will Always Love You. Oh, wow. Yes. And remember, Whitney Houston recorded it. And Dolly, oh, my God. Yeah, this is years before. Whitney Houston made, or Dolly Parton made all that money off that song because she didn't give up publishing rights. Well, you know, I know uh, I'm always fascinated by songwriting and, and publishing, uh, you know, Desmond Child. Oh, that guy made so much money. But I mean, he, you know, it, it, to me, the most impression, impressive thing about uh, him was. The variety of acts he wrote for, you know, yeah, like both of those guys. That he, the guy was that guy was in Chic, right? 
No, no, Desmond uh, Child's the guy. Uh, I'm thinking of Niles Rogers. Right. Yeah. Was Sheik, the great. Uh, I was talking. That guy talking, made a lot of money too. Right? Talking. Uh, that guy produced like a virgin. Oh, I mean, that's. Well, what did Desmond Child? He wrote like a bunch. Well, he wrote for Ricky Martin, all okay. his hits. He yeah. wrote for Hanson, all their hits, and they did have a couple hits. Yeah. Uh, all of Aerosmith's comeback hits. Yep. Uh, any Kiss hit in the '80s. Um, Leanne Rhymes, I mean, Cher. Uh, so, I mean, his publishing yeah. is just amazing. Um, uh, yeah, and that's also when publishing was a big deal because now I have to think that the songwriters hurt the most by the change in the music yeah. industry because music acts can still make money touring, but I don't think that the writers get the taste of the touring money the way they got you know the split of the recording proceeds. Well, and probably most of his money comes from the Bon Jovi catalog. Oh, my he God. He basically wrote... Oh Jesus! That they, those guys sold so many albums. I mean, Slippery When Wet alone was like fourteen million copies. Yeah, that was back in the day when on a prayer you could sell fourteen million. But his thing is, if he changes one word in the song, or if he if he gives you like, it's he very much the Elvis. He gets full public. Like if yeah. he says "Living on a Prayer," well, I gave you the on word. He, well, you, I get. You're putting him in. Whatever the you know. Smart. Probably he learned that the hard way. And Diane Warren, who is basically oh, the so how female Desmond Child. Yeah, remember all those Aerosmith hits? How can I live? Like that was like she made in the eighties and nineties. She was so successful, she'd get mentioned on like Casey's top forty. Well, I mean, my to favorite be known to the average fan is just a writer is amazing. Well, here's the funny thing is that like I bought the Desmond Child album D- Discipline. She, yeah. I know she had a uh, solo album out. You think, you know. These great songwriters, they're going to have killer no. albums their own. No. And they, ne- you know they why? never took off. Because music is like comedy. The words do not matter. You're right. They don't. They just simply don't matter. But if you ever want to see an Academy Award winning performance in acting, go YouTube uh, the Desmond Child video for Love on a Rooftop where Who's he it? has to act yeah. like he's enjoying kissing a girl. <laughs> <laughs> that is acting of the highest caliber because he's uh, I think it's I don't think I'm breaking any barriers here he's a uh, well I'll tell you I'm straight and I would I would have a hard time kissing a girl on camera it'd be really awkward it'd be like what the, you know well he's a well-known uh gay uh yeah, gay but, man uh, out yeah so that must be really weird also he hasn't done that for, you know he hasn't yeah. done a lot of acting or kissing of girls so those two things together well, those 80s videos were just the best. They really were. And the joke was they were so expensive. And who paid for them? The artists completely. The record company never paid a dime. Well, they made no sense, especially the 80s metal videos. Yeah. Like, you know, what the Striper video for uh, Always There For You starts out with them in their Bumblebee outfits standing on a street corner like four hookers. And then a helicopter comes by, picks them up, Takes them to this. Uh, Think about just the helicopter. How expensive it was just to have that. Had to be shot. fifty grand yeah. just to rent it for the day. Just to, yeah. Uh, so it takes them to this sound stage. They do this beautiful, you know, you know, elaborate production of the song. Elevator or the uh, helicopter just takes them away. And it's like you didn't really need to do the helicopter. No. Scene. But some director had that as a vision, or the band did, and then yeah. next thing you know, or Dawkins' video for "Just Got Lucky." They're in an abandoned lumber yard. And at the end of the video, a helicopter rises behind the drummer. And it said nothing to do with the song, nothing to do with the storyline of the video. Helicopter, man. That's the joke is that in the early 80s, videos could make people huge if they were just having a video. But by the late 80s, everybody had one. So it's such an inflationary market. So these are videos people maybe saw three times on MTV. And then yeah. that was that. Well, MTV made the 80s metal bands. I mean, Rat, yeah. 
they had Milton Berle in their first two videos and Tawny Katane. Milton Berle was in a rat video? Rat, he was in two of them. He was in uh, Round and Round. It's got to be his grandson was Marshall like... was the manager of Rat. Oh, there we go. Is that exactly so, what his son so was the manager? Or I think he grandson? said uh, his yeah. ne- uh, I, so, nephew, niece, nephew. Yeah. No, it couldn't be a niece, but... Uh, and uh, he, he was uh, in drag in the back from uh, in the round and round video. And you know the genesis of that had to be like, do you know any celebrities? Well, our our manager yeah. Milton Berle, My uncle. Was, yeah, uh, like, like I can't imagine any rock music fan would even know who he was. Well, but if you ever have seen that video, he's fucking great in it. He plays this <laughs> dirty old man at a dinner in a in a tuxedo, and then the camera goes back around, and he plays the wife. <laughs> and there's a great YouTube video of him in drag on the set, and some you know producers like, "Hey, Mr. Burl, you know we need you to over here for the camera." He's like, "God damn it, I'm Milton fucking Burl. You don't tell me where to go. Let's just make this fucking dumb video." <laughs> and it was just great. So I mean, but that's you're right. I mean, the Cars probably don't have a career if uh, it wasn't for MTV. I mean, their videos oh, yeah. were. Uh, early 80s but then by the late 80s the problem is then so many people were making i guarantee people making expensive videos that mtv was going nah you know and then they just spent a lot of money on something that was just not gonna you know yeah and early 80s mtv didn't have as much leverage they had to put pretty much everything on well pro- yeah i mean it's like uh, i always see nick yusuf wearing the uh, pirate radio shirt yeah and if, if you ever lived in la pirate radio was 100 uh, 100.3 on your dial they didn't have any, uh, their first, like, literally month, they had, like, three C- albums or CDs, whatever they were using. Yeah, like a new TV station playing Twilight Zone reruns. And they would play Bon Jovi's Born to Me, My Baby, like, literally all three times an hour. Because that's all they had. So, uh, you know, but that's, you know, L.A. L.A. in the 80s, you missed out of an era. Dave Taylor, how, are, how can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at this David Taylor. At this David Taylor, do you do the Facebook or do you like? Uh, how do you like people to contact really. you? Just now, Twitter. At, All right. this, David at this David Taylor, this is one of the longest uh, recorded episodes of Inappropriate Earl. Dave Taylor's a good friend, and uh, go to the comedy store. He's there a lot. He's also at the Improv too. Uh, select no, never at the Improv, just the store. <laughs> Well, All right, well, just go to the comedy store late night. It's unlike any club you'll see. You'll see Might not see me perform, but you'll probably get in a conversation with me, and that is just as good. And let me tell you something right now. If you've ever been in a conversation for Dave Taylor longer than 10 seconds, that means he likes you, because if he doesn't, um, you won't. Uh, he'll be like a ghost. He I'll just walk away. disappears into the darkness of the store, and uh, he'll never talk to you again. Never so. to be found again. Big thanks for Dave Taylor for coming. This is Inappropriate Earl. We're on SoundCloud. And uh, for you Steve Jobs nutswingers, you can still go on iTunes, leave a review, whatever. I need the help. Fake it till you make it. Next week, this episode will be up. Upcoming episodes, we've got Stephen Piercy from Rat coming in. Uh, and that's true. He, really? Uh, yes. You should ask him about this Christina Applegate picture because it's so clear that she doesn't want to physically touch him at all. Well, that like, never bothered him. Well, you look like he's all into this picture, and she looks like she is posing with a crazed fan. Wow. Look at how she's not touching him at all. Her body language says, I have a stiff smile. Get away from me. But I bet someone, her handler or manager, is like, hey, this guy's the singer in the hottest band right now. Yeah. Go fucking take a picture with him. So, because uh, that's, you know, probably 87 when Rat was still. It was uh, exactly, it was 1987, exactly. Yes. They were uh, still, uh, you know, pumping, you know, and then. Uh, 
you know, grunge came about and swallowed up all these bands like it was Pac-Man. A tsunami that ended their careers. Well, I remember Warrant uh, was with the same record label as Alice in Chains, and uh, I think Janie Lane, who's uh, sadly departed, uh, I think he tells the story of walking into Warner Brothers' lobby, and there's this huge, uh, like, monstrous mammoth beyond life-size plaque of cherry pie, you know, which was a huge video back yeah. in the day. And he came back like two weeks later, and there was like this huge mammoth life-size plaque of the, uh, I guess it would be Alice in Chains' debut album. Yeah. And he was like, oh, wow. So then the next Warren album, they cut off all their hair and were wearing flannel. And, <laughs> and it's like, blank, please. Yeah. Uh, so the 80s were its era. You'll never see it again. You guys listening to Justin Bieber and Lana Del Rey, go YouTube some rat videos, Bon Jovi, Poison, Twisted Sister. You know, get the real taste of music. And uh, we'll see you soon on Inappropriate Earl. Yeah, R.I.P. Warrior, you missed.